That was an intro in the style of the 92nd Academy Awards, Alan. Because this year, like last year, they are going with no host. Mm. The Oscars host is a thing of the past. Um, so, so what happens? Someone comes out and goes, uh, I'm presenting this award. And then someone else comes out and goes, I'm presenting this award. Wow, what, how did the, how could that work? Well, in, in the past, in, in the 90 years preceding, they had someone come out and say, hello, welcome to the Oscars, now here to present this award, it's so-and-so, and then they bring out someone else. So yeah, it's completely pointless having that in-between person. All they have to do was just do that without being racist or sexist or They couldn't whatever. find anyone they couldn't in Hollywood. They couldn't find <laughs> anyone. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're doing the Oscars. I'm Sol. Uh, you've heard Alan there. I think I already name dropped Alan's name. Name checked him. Yes, it's our our third annual Academy Awards special. Should we? Should we just quickly? You, you keep saying third. I think it's our fourth, Alan. No, it is. It can't be. It is. Look, we'll go backwards, right? <laughs> this is one. Okay. Then last year we did Green Book uh, and Co. That's mm-hmm. two. Uh, the year before that we did The Shape of Water and Co. Definitely, yeah. And the year before that, we did Moonlight and Co. Did we do that one? We did. We spoke about well, we Moonlight, definitely did Arrival, that one, Fences, yeah. Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, yeah, Manchester God by the damn. Sea. Four. Fourth annual. Four. That's how long we've been I don't know how, but, but it is our fourth one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay, so fourth annual Academy Awards special. So, um... The best one yet. The the most distinctly <laughs> average one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what we do on our Oscars specials, we watch all the Best Picture nominees. Uh, we will have a bit of discussion about other nominations, acting and stuff like that. But we always make sure that we watch all the films that have been Best Picture nominated. So we've at least got those under our belt. Uh, and that's what we're going to do today. Uh, Sol, you usually have some novel method of choosing an order in which we go. Have you got anything for us this year? Uh... I mean, I think last year we just went alphabetically, which isn't particularly novel. One year we did it in order of how likely I think they are to win. I like that one. Uh, but reverse. I mean, we could do that again if you want, but it's a lot more up in the air. Or we could do it. Uh, we could do it in order of most de-aging effects <laughs> used. <laughs> Order in order of the longest take. <laughs> we could do them in chronological order of the period. There are six. Ooh, let's out do of that. Nine, let's do that. Period. Films. Oh, I love it. Yeah, and let's Joker do that. is kind of timeless in some sort of way. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Let's go. So that would mean uh, the first one is Little Women. When's that one set? Eighteen seventy-six. Something like that. Sixty-five. All right, Little Women. Okay, so Little Women. We're start- <laughs> Okay, so Little Women, of course, the uh, the classic novel um, written by Louise May Alcott, primarily based on her old childhood. It's been made a few times before. Christian Bale was in it once, I remember. Um, this version is adapted and directed by Greta Gerwig, who is something of a industry darling at the moment, isn't she? Absolutely she is, yeah. Tell you what, Alan, did I tell you the other day? I, I, I started listening to a podcast uh, from the archives 
Uh, I think they did 40 episodes back in about 2012 or so, maybe even a bit earlier. And it's uh, Justin Roiland and a couple of other people. Justin Roiland, who does Rick and Morty. So every episode is basically two people. It's very similar to our dynamic, actually. Every episode is two people sort of trying to keep the show on on track and then this guy getting bored in the background and just doing like ding dong and then <laughs> oh hey ah oh, it's me ah uh, uh, mr poopy pants i poop my pants ah uh, see ya and that's that's the whole show very interesting okay wait ask who it is first yeah ryan wait, wait, who is don't it? just open the door yeah. Hey, it's me, Toppy. Hi, Toppy. Everybody's been asking about you. Yeah, it's me, Toppy the Toppy. Yeah, you're back. Yeah, you know, I I just sensed that you guys needed a topic for the show. We do. Yeah, of course, that's what you you do. Yeah, I mean, you guys seem real bone dry for topics. (laughs) All right. So, you know, I got a bunch of topics for you. Yeah, great. Well, let's hear them. This is so exciting. Okay, I mean, you know, I got a whole bunch of things you could talk about. Yeah. Like what? You know, I mean, <laughs> what do you what do you want? Well, what tell sort? us. No, 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 no. He likes just he, he wants he like a category. What sort yeah, of topic is, you looking for? Uh, the news. Oh, okay. I got a lot of, I got a whole bunch of topics about the news. Yeah, let's hear one. I mean, you know, like, I don't know, like, what about, you know, that one news item? Which one, the, Toppy? You know, I mean. It was it was a big deal. It was a big news item. The oil spill. Yeah. Oh, let's talk about the news and the oils. Mario, can I ask you a personal question? Yeah. And we were just curious. We were having telling some stories. Um, how did you lose your virginity? Oh, I uh, I won a time in in a world four. A level of three. I run around. <laughs> I run four. I run and I uh, jump. Uh-huh. And now uh, th- there's the um the uh, the bullet. The, the flying bullets. The flying bullet. Uh huh. Very slow moving flying bullet. He, he has a name. A uh, bullet of Bill. He get me really, make me make me a drink. <laughs> I get a really drunk. I fall asleep. Uh huh. Now did did you have have you ever had consensual sex? No. We live in a. I don't want to let this person in. I do. Oh, all right. You know what? <laughs> Hello? Hello, what's up? Hey, yo, my name's Psychic Ability. What's going on? Hold on. Wow. Don't. No, uh, I know what uh, you're going to say. <laughs> you're going to say, oh, where are you from? Right? I was. Oh I was going to say that. I was yep. going to say that, too. Yeah, because I got Psychic Ability, fool. <laughs> are you a rap artist, Fuck too? You. Fuck you. What? I'm, what? I'm saying that because you insult. You're gonna insult me no. in a little bit. <laughs> no, I know you are. I'm psychic ability. Psychic ability. You ain't shit. Oh, oh my God, Jackie. Aren't you gonna leave us with a song? Yeah. Here we yo, go. What is your music like? Uh, yo, I got abilities. My name is Psychic Abilities. I'm a Philities. Yo, I'm a Trilities. Hey, yo, Gillities. I'm a Gillities. I've got abilities. Don't I'm be not, it's abilities. Around psychic abilities. Hey, hey, yo, what the fuck, fool? Why are you jumping in on my <laughs> fucking game? And anyway, they they had a uh, a mumblecore film star on the other day. The guy was in a mumblecore movie or two, and uh, he was just talking about, oh yeah, like and and I should add this show. It was made before they were like famous, so they're just there like talking about, 
oh, you know, when Greta's doing this and Greta that. Yeah, I saw Greta the other day, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh, shit, yeah, that must be that must be Greta Gerwig. She, she came up through the Mumblecore scene, didn't she? Are you familiar with Mumblecore, Alan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems like something you'd be into, actually. Seems like something you'd like. <laughs> because you're like that. You're difficult. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> no? Um, I like the concept of it. <laughs> I mean, it's Dogma 95, isn't it? But exactly, not yeah. shot yeah. as nicely. Not done as well. But yeah, it's not done as well. That's the problem. But yeah, Greta Gerwig did come up through the uh, Mumblecore scene. I believe she was more of an actor than a... Mm-hmm filmmaker but of course she did Lady Bird a couple of years back yeah she only made one film prior to that yeah directed it Um, but then yeah so she has a pretty good record Mm. I liked Lady Bird but Mm -hmm. I did kind of feel like maybe the direction was nothing remarkable and maybe it was kind of a film I've seen a thousand times before in different ways and you know done nicely but it didn't blow me away nothing about it really stood out to me and at the risk of sounding like a an angry little incel i I think it was given a bit of a uh visibility boost due to the politicization of it having a female writer director at the helm Mm -hmm. um not that i'm you know dismissing it at all i like the film but i i know what you're saying but i also think you know uh, it's not that out of kilter. It's not. It's not an obvious box tick. It's the kind of film that, had it come out five years earlier, I think it mm. would have got nominated for best original screenplay, and that would have been it. Maybe Shersha Ronan, but like, I don't think it would have been quite as much of a heavyweight. But anyway, that that sort of shaped my opinion going into Little Women. There were lots of nominations for other awards coming out. Uh, such as the BAFTAs, before I saw Little Women. Uh, And there were lots of people decrying the lack of attention for the film, the lack of a a director nod. I kind of thought, you know, if if Lady Bird's anything to go off, fair enough. Having seen this film, the direction is actually pretty fucking impressive. For a a second film, a sophomore film effort, I've really got to hand it to her. I think Greta Gerwig is... Uh, a very good director and I'm actually quite excited to see what else she brings us in the future because uh, this is, you know, it's it's a significant change of style I mean, I didn't really know what to expect Little Women, I've never read it I've never seen the other film adaptations all I know of it is the the Simpsons episode where Mo is reading it to some kids in a hospital and then they realised they were no longer little girls. They were little women. And I've since found out from friend of the show, uh, Emily Slade, that that is not the final line of the book. They were doing a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so I really didn't know anything beyond the title. <laughs> I can see a connection there, as opposed to being a totally different style. But it is a very different feeling film. Uh, although, you know, it's about young women growing up dealing with family issues and stuff. I didn't particularly enjoy the film. Right. But I think that's down to the material rather than how it's handled. Um yeah, you you um you didn't like a strong independent woman in, <laughs> in a film. <laughs> Is that correct, Alice? If only that's what I got, I'd be all right. 
Uh, I think... <sighs> okay, so the, a major thing to take into account here in terms of the adaptation is that uh, the structure we have here cuts back and forth from sort of their childhood to them being several years older and we're jumping back and forth between them which is not how it is in the book the book is a linear narrative as far as I understand um, in fact what is known as Little Women is two books one that was written about these children growing up and then a second one that was a follow-on after it was a big success uh-huh. So I didn't know that. Well, from what I understand, basically, Louise May Alcott's publisher was like, write something that will appeal to girls. And she was like, I don't know what appeals to girls. And he was like, well, you were a girl. So she just wrote, she just sort of tossed something off that was based on when she was a, a kid and her sisters. And it's just this nice little story about them living and like waiting for their dad to come back from the war and... Uh, her sister got ill, but she got through it and it's all right. It's all just sort of nice pastoral nonsense. It becomes yeah. this big surprise hit. So then she writes another one, which is like them getting older. And I guess she wants to beef it up a bit. And so, you know, one of them dies and bad things happen and sort of love story and all that. Um, and then even in even within that, the second book, the character that is based on her is writing a book about her childhood. So she's like writing the first book. Oh, I didn't realise that. Okay. So it's kind of even... I thought this film added in yeah. some mad meta well, it, yeah, it, angle. It, it takes that on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as I understand that's in the book as well. But yeah, it does take that on very much. And I, I think the flitting between the two doesn't necessarily help the story in any way. I think it might just make it a bit less f- flat and boring. I kind of agree with you. Um, to jump in, I was surprised at how much I loved certain scenes within this film. I absolutely loved just individual moments and and, and pieces. Uh, but then we jumped to something else and it would be kind of dull and uninteresting. And having finished the film, the stuff I loved was all about Joe, Shersha Ronan, yeah. trying to get a book written, trying to get published, dealing with the publisher. It was all this, like, self-aware meta stuff. So I, I kind of agree, actually. I think I would have much preferred it if that had been the whole film. It, it, it almost felt watered down to me that we then had to go and sit with Emma Watson for ten minutes. And... Well, that's another issue, but... Um... I, I think that's the problem. I think that first half, that when they're actually they are kids before the dad comes home, is who's the dad, Alan? <laughs> Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> Surprise! Uh, <laughs> but that that first half, I think it is just quite boring. It's it's kind of a nothingy thing, and and it, but it it just sort of chimed with young girls at the time that they could relate to it. Perhaps at a time when there was nothing else for them in the mid nineteenth century. Okay, so. But now it just feels like nothing happening. And so they've tried to balance that out by throwing the two halves of the story and interweaving them. But it never feels like that's adding anything. Um, so, yeah, another problem perhaps, is, and I, from what I understand, this comes from the books as well, is that Joe, which is the character played by Shersha and Anne and, and the kind of the, the main voice of the story, she... Uh, everything's focused on her really and and the other the other characters get somewhat sidelined the problem with that is that it feels like it's trying to do more of an ensemble thing where but then you've got the one girl who gets ill so she doesn't really get to do much but then 
they still have a uh, with their own storylines about the piano and everything. You've got Emma Watson, who they may as well have just fucking edited out of the film because that's obviously what they wanted to do. Well, they they obviously thought this character she's barely in it. Who cares? We'll put the name. Well, on if it. we put Emma Watson in, we'll we'll get like loads of people will come and see it for Emma Watson. Oh yeah, 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 and then we can give her like two lines and call it a day. Brilliant, yeah. And and fair play to them. Emma Watson's in this film, and she doesn't manage to ruin it like she does with every other film she's in. Do you know what though? By being I was a terrible actor. So I was fair play. I was thinking, ah, she's all right. She's doing okay in this. And then there was a couple of lines or a couple of scenes where she just did something. I was like, oh my god. Yeah, don't let her speak. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there, and we'll come back to this, but Florence Pugh is in it as well. Oh, I love Florence Pugh. Let's ju- my new favorite. Well, so glad she's been recognised. Let's come back to that in a sec. Um, Yes, uh, so, and then you've got Laura Dern's in it, it's totally wasted. Um, oh, my other new favourite, my other new favourite. I've come <laughs> round on Laura Dern, I like her now. But anyway, I guess my point is that I just didn't get enough out of this, and really my big problem with this is that it feels like the message is, you know, you're a young woman, it's, good, you're, it's okay to have dreams, have big aspirations, settle, get married... And, and don't do anything with your life, but have dreams, that's fine, as long as you get married at the end. And it even kind of... Mm, I don't think that was the message. But that's what happens. And it, and it gives yeah. it gives the Joe character this married uh, life ending that it sh- t- totally does not warrant warranted in the story at all. And they basically turn to camera and wink and go, look, we know this is to- completely wrong, but... It's a happy ending, and you got it. that's what pays the bills, <laughs> which is what happens in the book, right? That's what. Yeah, I think that's the issue. I think what actually happened there was they turned to camera and went, "Right now, look, this is something that happens in this book that we're adapting and means a lot to us uh, as filmmakers. So we don't want to fuck about with it too much, and it probably means a lot to a lot of you watching this film. So we are going to keep the ending intact, but we're going to completely reframe it." from a meta standpoint where we're kind of criticising the decision to include that ending in the original text. I don't think it uh, is. And we're kind of removing it from being part of reality uh, so that it's ambiguous as to whether or not that's even what actually happens within the story of this film or if you're just kind of seeing an imagined version uh, fictionalised within the book being written by the character. I I think it was actually a, a, an ingenious way of handling it, because the alternative would be just change the ending of the book, and that that would be upsetting for people. No, I think you change the end of the book. If if the book if that story doesn't tell them what you want it to do, you can go fuck it. It's not eighteen sixty five anymore. I can give it a, a, this different ending. That's exactly what you can do. And if you want to make a point about well, you know, in eight six five, women had to get married. Then make that point. Don't make the point of all the way through. This character doesn't have to get married. This character doesn't have to get married. Oh, she got married. It's okay. She fell in love uh, with this person she barely knows. It's, it's just like even if the ending had been, well, you know, I've got to get married because that's what I've got to do and that's what life is. Yeah, like Kez has got to go down the mines because it's because it's eighteen sixty five. That's fair enough. Oh wait, no, Kez is the Kez is the bird, isn't he? Kez isn't the boy. But that's not the ending it gives it. It tries to wrap it up as a happy ending, yeah. It tries to wrap it up like it's some nice little gift-wrapped ending, and it just it is so unsatisfying and frustrating to watch. And then the love the love triangle thing was all total bollocks, and uh, yeah, it was just... I, I think it's down to the source material, frankly, but it really frustrated me, and that was kind of annoyed me more than anything else. 
But that that that's it. This felt this felt like a truly modern adaptation of difficult, old, outdated source material, uh, and it did it without obviously modernizing it. You know, without giving them guns that had sword written on it. Without um, <laughs> we're gonna have to do uh, Baz Luhrmann's <laughs> Romeo and Juliet one day, just so that I can slate it. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, it 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 felt authentic, but from a modern voice, and I I think it really walked a delicate balance very well. Well, I, th- well, I, I guess I just think it it kind of was trying to walk a balance and then just fell on its face right in the last minute. But not the, but the the problem with that is that it wasn't like I was really enjoying the film and it was a great piece of cinema, and then I just like I was frustrated by the ending. I thought it was quite average anyway, so it's not even. Like it wasn't wowing me anyway, and uh, and you know nothing wrong with it, but you know it's it's why I want it to I want it to be saying something different to the last time Little Women was made or, or mm. the last sort of period drama well, that's just telling this kind of is. pastoral story. And I think by reframing it the way that it does, it is now saying, "Well, this is what's expected from." people and sometimes you have to make compromises and accept the the shitty side of society to get anywhere in life when does it do that when she has to completely fuck with her vision artistic vision to change the end of her book so that it has a completely different meaning than the one that she's trying to imbue it with yeah, but the, 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 it's not like there's this big kind of crisis going on, a conscience, uh, or like her kind of struggling with the philosophy of art versus you know capitalism. Yeah, it's she, just a publisher yeah, goes. She's got well, to get paid. Got to pay them bills. She's like, right, if you're going to do that, give me some more money. Yeah. Good on you. Fair enough. Take the check and run. That's the message of this film. Sell out. And I'm fine with that. I think that's a a valid point of view. <laughs> All right, Alan. I've uh, I've actually had a message from. Um, uh, Acast that they'll give us some sponsorship if we end this episode with a marriage between <laughs> the two of us. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. Okay, so let's talk about the actors. Emma Watson we've dealt with. Shersha and Anne, very good. Yeah, I, I thought she was great. Um, uh, the other sister is Eliza Scanlon, who's perfectly good again. Didn't really do that much. But good, what she does, uh, and so Florence Pugh is the is the uh, the last sister playing Amy. Now, um, interesting. So, uh, as we say, this this film takes place over a sort of a a time period of about seven or eight years, something like that. I think it's supposed to be. The characters are supposed to go from like twelve, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, up to you know nineteen twenty three, right? I think. Florence Pugh is the only one who manages to nail that. The only one who, in the younger scenes, seems like a child, and in the older scenes, seems like a young adult. From little girl to yeah. little woman, if you dare say. Whereas the others just feel like the same the whole way through. I Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I, Florence Pugh really stood out to me in this, and I I think that was part of it, but I must say I, I wasn't really paying attention to how old they were supposed to be at the start, so I kind of just thought she was like a petulant little, like, immature idiot because <laughs> I didn't realize that she wasn't meant to be in her 20s yeah well that's the that part of the problem because she's supposed to be 12 and she's like 25 or whatever she is so uh yeah <laughs> they don't particularly look the right age 
So if we are if we are doing this in order of de aging effects, this is in the right place. <laughs> this is in the worst spot. Uh, yeah. So uh, I really liked her though. Yeah, she's obviously a great talent um, and stood out definitely. And I had no idea that she was uh, that I'd seen her in anything before when I looked her up. And she's in fighting with my family, and it was just like, oh wow, that is such a totally different performance. Some. Some uh, yes, yeah. that's, that's good. That, I mean, that's good an actor to have that kind of adaptability. Well, yeah, I I, I think we spoke about her on the Dominisode we put out about the Oscar noms this year. Uh, available at patreon.com forward slash dim returns. Uh, but it, it it bears saying again, I I've been amazed at how Florence Pugh has just appeared out of nowhere <laughs> uh, last year. Don't think I ever saw her in anything before, and then suddenly I watched Fighting with My Family. Midsummer and Little Women uh, really took note of her in all three. Uh, three very different performances. Well, I, I was going to say I expect to see big things for her in the future, but I mean, fucking hell, she's Oscar nominated, of course. Like, it's not even a prediction at this point. <laughs> um, and you know, I, I think I would have. I think we might have even said that we kind of expected decent stuff for her career when we spoke about fighting with my family on our Dominisode about that, but. Mm. I don't think either of us would have anticipated it would lead to an Oscar nomination at the following Oscars. <laughs> um, no. I think we were talking like, you know, maybe another decent comedy, maybe a Judd Apatow movie or something. You know, <laughs> yeah. So, okay, we've got Laura Dern. Let's just save our, our talk for when we do Marriage Story, because um, she doesn't do that much here. Uh, but the other big character in this is Timothy Chalamet, who I'm a big fan of since we did... Um, Call Me By Your Name, uh, on another Oscars episode, two, two years ago, was that? Yeah. Um, I, I've i liked him in everything I've seen, uh, I, I so I think he's great. I do want to see him doing something a bit different, like he does this kind mm-hmm. of mopey, sunken-eyed teenager thing kind of really well. Um mm. So, but I, I think he is a good actor, I, I, I do want to see him mature a little bit. Uh, I think the acting all round was very good for the most part, other than Emma Watson. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I, I think just all round, I was impressed with how enjoyable a film it was. I, I kind of went into it thinking it was going to be a slog. Uh, like I say, I loved individual scenes and plot strands within it. Other ones were a bit more dry. Uh, you could probably edit it down into a, a short film that I absolutely love like a half hour following the writer um or you could have done a film about that and I probably would have really liked it but as it stands it was a bit messier but I did like it and it makes me think a lot more of Greta Gerwig and I am interested to see what she does next uh I give it a 7 out of 10 yeah well not to go over what I've said previously I gave it a 5 out of 10 no Right, we're jumping forward, Alan. We better hop in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, oh, yeah. We 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 came to eighteen sixty five before we started the show, so that's why you haven't heard any sound effects yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. Just to, to say, well, it's, it's eighteen eighteen fifty five is very quiet. <laughs> so we got we got to jump forward to nineteen seventeen. Which time machine should we use? Um, the one from Bill and Ted. All right. Because we'll be covering that this year, surely. Are they are they still making that new Bill and Ted film? That's still going ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think oh, they're good. We'll be covering that this year it. at some point. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Three, two, one. 
circuits of history, gentlemen. They'll take us to any point in time we wish. <laughs> oh, it's 1917. Ooh. Whoa. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, ah, there's shooting and bombs. God, it's a right mess around here, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ooh, dear. So, <laughs> 1917. Now, that date, Saul, is a big clue to the film that we're covering next. <laughs> okay. Is it Joker? <laughs> it's 1917. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, 1917. This is a biggie. I think we're talking potential winner here. Yeah, I, I, if I was putting money on it, this is my money for yeah, film that's going to win this year. Uh, um, yeah, I was, I was really impressed with it, actually. Uh, I thought they you couldn't even notice the loading screens. Um, no lag at all. Very smooth gameplay. Um, really impressive. Uh, uh, I thought it was a good variety within each level as well. Um, a whole A whole thing in the war walking from one place to another, that's going to get boring, but there was the level with uh, the water and the river, there was the level with all the lights going mad, uh, there was yeah. the level at the, the end rats. where all the bombs were going, yeah, cave level, it was good. Uh, could have done with like a lava level, like Sonic the Hedgehog style, but, you know, can't have everything. Mm. And uh, I thought Benedict Cumberbatch yeah. was a really good, like, end of level boss. <laughs> so... <laughs> But all joking aside, Alan, it's not a video game, even though it plays like one. Uh, It's (laughs) a film done in one take, or at least with the illusion of, well, with the illusion of two takes. And I kind of thought going in, oh, it's a gimmick, who cares? And it kind of is, but I I do think it adds a lot to kind of put you there in the experience and go on this journey with the characters. Mm. I I sort of just expected this film to be Dunkirk again, and Dunkirk uh, was another film that I said felt exactly like a video game. It just felt like a VR experience. I, I was really quite impressed with how much story and character and emotion they were able to put into this film to say it was following the same framework. And I suppose Dunkirk is Christopher Nolan, who is, yeah. you know, a very cold, detached filmmaker, and that just comes through, whereas Sam Mendes is obviously a much warmer, more emotionally driven filmmaker. So I suppose that is the the difference there. I, w- I will say, though, um, I think, for me, that was still an issue. The same way I felt with Dunkirk, that I just did not connect with it emotionally at all, I did still have that problem here. Definitely there's more emotion here and they put more effort into that. But I still didn't really connect. And I, that's that's what was missing from this for me. Um, I think I did connect but, quite well. And I'll put it down almost entirely to George McKay's performance, which I was really impressed with. I, I'd seen him nominated for something and I was complaining about it because I was like, fuck off. Like It's a big one-take movie and he's just some guy running in front of camera. So... I'll I'll take it back. He he's doing a lot of a lot of acting, uh, and he's very good in it. And I think he does very well yeah. to hold the camera as much as he does uh, when the focus is on him, which is quite often. Yeah, and it is a very minimalist thing in terms of acting. You know, it's very natural. 
uh, and he's kind of a stiff upper lip a British uh, army guy who can't quite show emotions, uh, you know, in front of everyone. So there's just these kind of moments of breaking. Uh, it's a, and, and not just because, oh, I can't show emotion, just because he's in a situation where he needs to keep going. He just needs to keep going. And I think the film and his performance in general really portrayed fatigue yeah, yeah. very well. Uh, just in that kind of so tired, like concussed and, and beaten up and in a way that wasn't very yeah. visual. Like as in... You know, it's not like Bruce Willis in Die Hard. You know, he's like dripping in blood. It was like it was it was not visceral. It was kind of through performance and through the fact that we've seen everything he's been through and we've been yeah. through it in real yeah. time. We haven't uh, we haven't skipped anything. Yeah. We don't have to fake it because we were there. Uh, and I think that really comes across nicely. If I have any major complaints, uh, number one, don't make such a big song and dance about doing it in one take. And then make it so blatantly obvious where all the cuts are. I mean, I just think I, I, I what, well, what you were saying, yeah, it's, it's, is it a gimmick? Yeah, I think it is, and I think it, it is unnecessary because just in the sense of having a dozen cuts in the film, like we do have, yeah, but having them more visible wouldn't matter. Exactly. Yes, you're not doing a, a shot, reverse shot, over shoulder stuff, but. Uh, it, it, you, you you don't have to go to such trouble to hide it. You don't have to. I mean, there's there's quite a lot of shots there. I was like, oh, okay. I don't know how they did that. I don't know how that camera movement was made. I, I assume there's some uh, CGI removal of like equipment that you would have. Oh yeah, yeah. See. There were there were huge rigs and tr- cranes and things being you know cameras being hoisted onto bits of equipment and then taken off and. Yeah, but it's done really nicely. Like you can't argue yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It, but the 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 effect it has from a from a, a filmmaking point of view and a director's point of view is that it means the camera movements are very fluid and the camera movements are self conscious. You know, mm. in so much as they are motivated by what the characters are doing and yeah, seeing, it yeah. is like another person walking around with them. Yeah, I don't. I didn't get. I didn't get that feeling like, oh, I'm there with them. But it does affect the way that you see it mm. because it's not it's not what you expect as cinema. It's not like, here's a thing, here's a close-up to show what you're supposed to be looking at. Yeah. It is more experiential, I suppose. Yeah, here's Mark Strong's legs. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Who's that voice? I recognise it. <laughs> I uh, th- That's my other complaint is uh, I thought the actor's cameos being dropped in were a bit mishandled. Distracting. Um, Colin Firth... Not necessary, frankly. Well, yeah, Colin Firth pops up. That scene, you're just like, oh, it's Colin Firth. And you kind of forget that he's telling you something. And then he's fucked off again immediately. Then uh, Andrew Scott appears. And to be fair, that's the first time I've seen Andrew Scott in something. And I've... I mean, I was really impressed with him, actually. I have to say... Really? Yeah. That's interesting because I thought the exact opposite. Really? I he has what, three or four minutes of screen time in this film? Yeah. And he he's not everything I've ever seen Andrew Scott in in the past, he's been big Oh Hello there! I'm going to go a little bit crazy. Well, don't you know there, Sherlock and Mr. Fleabag? I'm going over here. Oh, you don't see. Whereas in this, it was just dialed down. And it, it 
I thought it was this really lively performance, but without being that annoying, over-the-top... Uh, yeah, no, I, I was really quite impressed with him. That's interesting, yeah. I, I also have never seen Andrew Scott in anything that I thought was good, even though he's a very renowned actor. I think he's better on stage, basically. I think that's what he's renowned for. Um, but I didn't particularly like him in this either. I thought he he did stand out. It It felt too big for this, even if it was dialed down. I still think what he was doing was like too. It was too theatrical. That I think he's a stage actor and he hasn't adjusted. I liked it here. This was the level I wanted all the acting to be at in this one. Uh, I also liked George McKay. Just for the record, I thought it was great. Uh, the other guy who's in it at the beginning, uh, an actor called Dean Charles Chapman. Yeah. I th- I thought it was a bit shit. Um. Um. No, I don't want to judge too harshly, but it definitely just didn't come across. As amazing, I wasn't bothered about him. I thought he was Never fine. I, I didn't. Uh, yeah, he's not, I wasn't right, bothered either way. But I mean, George George McKay is the one who really stood out to me. But then you know he's the guy who got the lead, so makes sense. I've I've seen George McKay in one other thing. He's in Sunshine on Leaf, the musical based on the Proclaimers songs. <laughs> uh, I mean, basically, I loved it and. I thought it was absolutely visually stunning, like breathtaking visually. But I went into it thinking all the cinematography accolades it was getting were just, oh, it's the gimmick, it's been done in one take, quote-unquote. Uh, but then I sat down to watch it and, oh no, it's it's breathtaking to look at. And it, yeah. it's yeah. not just the cinematography, but the set design as well and the production design. Um, mm-hmm. just in the early stuff when they're walking through those trenches, the the detail and the sets behind them, and I think that's why it felt like a video game and does feel like a video game to so many people is that it's that same experience of of when you're a kid and you're around at a friend's house and you're watching your friend play a video game and you're both taking in this like exploration experience and looking at all the details and exploring. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I just thought it was absolutely stunning. And then the credits rolled and it said cinematography by Roger Deakins. And I thought, oh, okay. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it seems like an absolute lock for the Oscar for cinematography. Yeah, and rightly so. Um, yeah, rightly so. I, but yeah, there was it, it does kind of take the time to enjoy it as oh, well. Yeah. Like particularly the the nighttime scenes where oh. they do he's walking through a bombed out town yeah. where there's, there's fire glowing. These, incredible. The the really interesting thing about it was that because there was flares going off, um it, the light sources are like much closer than you would expect mm. from moonlight or anything mm. like that. So the buildings were lit up really artificially, which usually in film looks odd. And it, it did look odd. It looked like a model. But then he's walking through it. It was really weird uh, thing to see, um, but yeah, just visually like beautiful yeah. and, and interesting. And I really liked it. I give it an eight out of ten. I did enjoy it. I I must admit that it feels more like appreciation of cinema rather than an, a great personal enjoyment. Although I did enjoy it, uh, I did give it an eight out of ten. I would say that's quite a low eight. It was pretty touch and go. I would like to welcome it into my top ten films of 2019 list. Uh, this this is now. I guess we'll be getting that at the end of the episode. The oh yeah, you list. want the full one? I won't tell you where it's gone. Yeah, well, not yet because we might have some more coming in, right? Uh, yeah, but I think don't give it away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, all right. Moving on because we've done. Well, we've got another seven films to talk about. (laughs) Better hop in the time machine. 
Okay, what time machine are we going to use now? We're jumping forward to the next war, World War. Have we got a war-themed time machine we can use? No. <laughs> uh, let's use let's use the one out of the time machine, the classic H.G. Wells one. Oh, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of levers involved. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Pull that one and I'll, I'll crank this. <laughs> so it's doing something. Dials, compass here. All right. Things, tapping things. All right, it's, uh, all right. There we go. Suddenly, in 1940, I began to be buffeted from side to side. My first thought was that the machine had a mechanical defect or a part had worn out. The last time I had stopped was in 1917, 23 years ago. And the war with Germany was still waging. Now in the air with flying machines. Then I realized the truth of the matter. This was a new war. Look, there's a there's a sort of vaguely ethnic-looking uh, Hitler. So I think we're in the right era. We've we've not only traveled through time, we've also traveled from somewhere in Belgium or France, probably <laughs> wherever it, wherever that is in 1917. Uh, to uh, Germany, somewhere, an unnamed city in Germany. Mm. Here we are. Um, for Jojo Rabbit. Now, I have to say, Jojo Rabbit was one of the films where I saw the trailer was like, oh, that looks like it's going to be fun. I, I, I'm, I'm up for that. Uh, out of every film nominated this year, this was the one I was most excited to watch based on hearing... You're a big taiko with Yeah, based on hearing it was going into production. This was the one I was most excited mm-hmm. about. And I'll admit that excitement kind of waned by the time it came to actually watch the film because I'd seen enough press and promo materials to kind of lower that excitement. But uh... <laughs> uh, Yeah, I I mean... And I do love Taika Waititi, you're right. I'm a big fan of his work. I would... I only saw this a couple of days ago and I've been thinking it over. I just... I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Like, what, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why it's being Oscar nominated. I guess, like, if this was a silly sort of throwaway comedy, a, a, a different take on this era with a slightly, you know, with a with a on a poignant edge to it. Yeah. Why is it even in the discussion of awards? I don't understand, really. Because uh, it's a time where saying Nazis are bad is a bold statement. And I, and I suppose it attempts to humanise... Is that where we're at in, yeah. in life? Yeah, sadly it is. <laughs> and, and I completely agree with you, because, you know, if this is Oscar-nominated, where was the Oscar nomination for What We Do in the Shadows and like Taika Waititi's good films? Where was the Oscar nomination for Eagle versus Shark? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll I'll come out and say it. This is my least favorite of this year's Best Picture nominations. I was mm. very unimpressed with it. I love Taika Waititi. I love the concept, but 
I mean, what is the concept? You're you're making a, a silly comedy set in Nazi Germany following a young boy who is a Nazi because he's been brainwashed, grown up with all the propaganda, yeah. and then he kind of meets a Jew and learns to, uh, well, realises that Jews are people too, and, you know, get it's heartwarming. Mm-hmm. And that I'm and all on board Hitler with. Hitler as an imaginary friend, it's like... A- that's a great sell. That's a great concept. But they sold it on the premise of Taika Waititi playing imaginary Hitler. Slam dunk. Hilarious. And I think in practice it's actually not very interesting or funny. <laughs> it's. I mean, he should have done the New Zealand accent. That would have For a start, yeah. been a hell of a lot better. It would have been far more... I, I think that's it. I think maybe Taika Waititi is only funny when he has the New Zealand accent. Because... Because I've been wondering this about Reese Darby for a while. I love Reese Darby. <laughs> I think he's hilarious, but I do wonder if it's just the accent and the funny voice. <laughs> it is definitely. <laughs> uh, now I thought I actually thought Taika Waititi was good as the character he was playing because he, he did manage to bring the kind of aggression of Hitler to it when he was doing the speeches and stuff. He obviously looked at the hand gestures and all that, and and but then he played it at the level where it is the embodiment of a child's mind. It is an imaginary friend. I actually thought that character worked really nicely. And really? I think he did a good performance with it, yeah. The film felt like a silly throwaway comedy that was making a couple of little jabs about, uh, you know, how diff- how bad war is and, you know, the human the humanity involved. Um, but even that didn't particularly play. I didn't get a sense of, you know, or like, oh, well, you know, Sam Rockwell, you know, he might be a Nazi, but, you know, he saved this little kid. You know, he's not all bad, is it? Yeah, that didn't play at all. Because he never comes across as a Nazi in the first place. Do you I know thought, what I mean? I thought Scarlett Johansson was a bit crap and wasted. Oh, I tell you what, the fact that Scarlett Johansson has been nominated for an Oscar for this oh, it's is offensive. laughable. It is a, it's, it's offensive. offensive. That award, that Best Supporting Actor, uh, Actress award is so ridiculous sometimes. Why can't they sort that out? There are there are enough fucking supporting female p- performances out there that you can pick five yeah. good ones. I oh Christ! Like swap Scarlett Johansson out right now. Swap her out for Shuzan Zhao. I I said in our nominations yeah. episode the 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 woman who plays Nai Nai in the Farewell. She's phenomenal in that film. Swap her out for the woman from Uncut Gems, who's like a, a brand new debut performance. Julia Fox. Swap her out for Julia Fox from Uncut Gems. Put Billy Lord in from Booksmart. You want to nominate some comedy? Like, Billy Lord was fantastic in Booksmart. You know, we're going to come on to Scarlett Hansen in Marriage Story, in which we'll, we'll be very complimentary about her. It's not about her, but the, there's just like nothing Scarlett here. Hansen. There's nothing yeah. here. For her to do, like, she couldn't do it any better, but there's nothing there that's award-worthy. She's yeah. barely in it. Yeah. It's just, oh, what Scarlett Johansson done this year? Any of them award contenders? Well, this one's kind of an awards contender. Done. But I don't understand that either, so. Ridiculous. And offensive. It is offensive. Um, and I agree. I, I, other I, I think this film wastes the vast majority of its cast, honestly. Or, or at least it's just... None of it really works for me. The only cast member who really worked for me was Stephen Merchant as the <laughs> Nazi officer Duritz, which was just inspired within the within the kind of awkward German accent world that this film presents us yeah, with. That yeah, really did work for me. He looks like a gangly, creepy German Nazi officer. <laughs> yeah, it looks like he, SS. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a funny voice. It looks like Gestapo, doesn't it? Yeah, it, uh, that worked really well. 
And all, you know, and you know, there were some good jokes in the film that I enjoyed, but there's the odd moments. I, I, I did. I only laughed out loud once. Um, it was um, that shot where Sam Rockwell is just in shot, and then Stephen Merchant hoves into view and is <laughs> looming over him. And that was what I laughed at. I don't know why. I, I <laughs> just yeah, at the end of the day, I couldn't escape from comparing it to Life Is Beautiful in my head. Yeah, and that's yeah. a comparison there is no way on earth the people making this film were not aware of when they made it so the fact that it is such a two bit like just not, not but this is a good. caricature comedy whereas yeah. Life is Beautiful is not and yeah the, and even even the attempts at kind of the, the sort of the the more emotional moments I guess or the more oh um, my god the, the big emotional beat which, uh, no point spoiling, because anyone who's seen the film knows what I'm talking about. The big emotional beat was so hacky and just obvious, and then when it happened, it was just this, like, melodrama. And again, it just made me think, well, I've seen Life is Beautiful, and that was a legitimately tear-jerking film, whereas this is, like, we've basically been watching war cards set in Nazi Germany, but not as funny for (laughs) an hour and 15 minutes, and now you're expecting me to cry at it. Yeah, and again, you can't do that. Also, you're also relying on what, like, a fucking seven-year-old to to put whatever he is to to get that across. Mm. And as much as he does a fine job, like that's complex emotional acting that you you need you need to do. Yeah, I I was very unimpressed, honestly, and I I just wanted more because I I do love Taika Waititi. This is my least favorite Taika Waititi film. Yeah, the only moment that I particularly liked was the one I referenced in our quiz in our review of the year episode which is the the use of the German uh, version of I want to hold your hand by the Beatles at the start with all the um, archive footage of Hitler's fans cut together to look like a Beatles you know Beatlemania montage I thought that was the kind of inspired little moment that the film needed more of and just didn't really have and I didn't think it was particularly well directed, or uh, yeah, I just I really wasn't particularly, I wasn't impressed with it. Uh, really disposable, uninspired comedy could have been a lot better. I mean, not bad, but just a very weak six out of ten from me. Yeah, kind of similar. I, I went. Um... Slightly better. I think basically just watching it was perfectly enjoyable thing. It was just like, I don't understand why it's getting anything more than that. I gave it a pretty low seven. Also gets a thumbs up for me for being, I think, the only one under two hours of these. <laughs> like, it oh, is well, okay to make films under two hours, you know, guys. Is it, Alan? Because our well, next film is, uh, I want to do it in minutes. 209 minutes long. <laughs> that sounds like a lot. Yeah, we better jump in the old uh uh the toaster that Homer Simpson tries to fix and he does such a bad job that it ends up travelling through time. Oh. Now to take her for a test toast. And what the Look at that! I'm the first non-Brazilian person to travel through time. Correction, Homer. You're the second. That's right, Mr. Peabody. Quiet, you. 
1949. <laughs> uh, yes, Hitler's been defeated. Yay. Yeah, so long, Tyker. Uh, we're here to to enjoy the comedy stylings of Ray Romano in The Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So, The Irishman, Martin Scorsese's latest uh, take on the, the gangster genre. It's like to to use another to use another video game metaphor it's like they brought out this game called Sonic Mania a few years ago and it was basically Sonic the Hedgehog 4 it was like looks exactly the same as the old Sonic games but maybe a tiny bit better cuz the graphics like you can do more within the same graphical style nowadays but it was 16 bit and it had old school Sonic music and it was just like 2D classic Sonic made by people who love old school Sonic. And it was it was like a remix of the old games. They even went back to some old levels. And this is the the Martin Scorsese equivalent of that. Swap Sonic out for Martin Scorsese. <laughs> this film, they might as well have called it Martin Scorsese Mania. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is sort of a culmination of his life's work, isn't it? And some. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's just. Hey, remember Goodfellas and Casino? <laughs> We've done that again. Not as good, mind, that but again. not as good, mind. But it might remind you those films exist. Make you want to go back to them. Scorsese's made headlines recently, slagging off the Marvel films and all that, and um, and sort of lamenting how cinema's going, I suppose. And this really does feel like an old man's film. It just feels like I'm gonna make like the slowest ponderous film I can, just to prove a point. <laughs> it's like this is how we made them in the seventies. That's how I'm gonna make it now, mm. and that's okay to a point. I do think just make a TV series like at some point. <laughs> just yeah. just yeah. accept that this could be a four episode miniseries, or just don't make it so long. Edit it. Oh yeah, I mean it's so it, there's so much in the here. Trim it down to be in it, or make a trilogy. Do it like the Godfather. Like, <laughs> don't do that. Do it like a short Godfather. <laughs> Hire some actors that are age fucking appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's deal with that first. The aging thing, because oh, uh, I mean th- this is the most. This is by far the most outrageous, offensive snub of the Oscars this year. Categorically, Captain Marvel is not nominated for its visual effects. The Irishman is nominated for its visual effects. Now, based on the visual effects in The Irishman, that is exclusively down to (laughs) the de-aging effects on Robert De Niro, which are, you know, impressive insofar as it's amazing we can do that nowadays. But not impressive insofar as it looks a bit uncanny valley, a bit Polar Express in this film. It looked yeah. perfect in Captain Marvel and Terminator Dark Fate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a, you know it's a big part of Captain Marvel, so that's the one that I'm going to. So give that film some fucking credit. But no, we're going with The Irishman because that's the one directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, and it, it just wasn't as good... <laughs> But there's also it's also just it's not justified, okay? So yeah, the only well, justification it, it is, is insofar as it's an epic spanning these guys' life from 
1949, 50 years into the future, isn't it? Yeah, but if you want to show someone age 35 to 75, you get an actor who's 55, that, that, not 85. Like, you have to... You, because you, you want to be able to do, you know, as much range as possible. Yeah. The reason he's picked these actors is because he likes these actors. He knows these actors. That's fine, but they're not right for the characters. They're not age-appropriate. Well, I think it's partly that, and it's partly a self-aware meta thing. It's partly, this is Martin Scorsese's yeah, greatest yeah, yeah, yeah. hits, and you all want to see Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci and Al Pacino back again for one big... Well, he's never worked with Al Pacino before, but... <laughs> yeah. What, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino? Yeah, but Scorsese and Al Pacino have never worked together. No, but... No, but... Scorsese wants to see Al Pacino, Robert De Niro back together again as much as the rest of us. Do we? Because of all those great films they've been in together? Like Righteous Kill? Yeah, like all the... <laughs> Is that the recent one? Is that the really, yeah. really bad one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Scorsese went, look, this should work, but it doesn't work, so let us let me do it. I'll do one. It does feel like, look... I'm going to die soon. Let's get the band back together uh, for one last uh, show. Yeah. And okay. Do you know what? Fair enough. And, and, and like, they're all good enough actors to get away with it. So it's not, as much as I'm saying they're not appropriate for it, it's not like they're really bad performances. In fact, they do very well, obviously. Oh, they're good. You know, I, I think Robert De Niro could be better. I think he's a phenomenal actor and this isn't a performance that made me think twice it's a very boring character i think it's by design he's a very flat character like that's the idea behind it al pacino on the other hand gets to chew the scenery and do his usual shtick and he's fun watching that yeah joe pesci is a a joy to see back on screen i I love Mm -hmm. joe pesci and you know he's he's yeah it's a good good turn from him i mean not as good as not as good as when he was in the wet bandits but uh, (laughs) I've heard Can't people talk about how he's so understated in this and how he's not like uh, blowing up and being like aggressive Joe Pesci and all that. And, and yeah, he's not, but he's not doing anything new here. This is what he does in his other things, but then he has that flash moment where he gets aggressive, but then he's calm again. And just yeah. in this, he never gets there and he's got this kind of more elderly statesman vibe to it. Yeah. But So yeah. I don't think it was like, there's nothing like particularly groundbreaking here from Joe Pesci, but I think it's a good performance, you know. Yeah. And then you got Lytle's in there. Yeah, may as well not have bothered. Yeah. Um, Ray Romano's in there. He's great. I love Ray Romano when he's used as like an actual actor. I love it when he pops up. I love Ray Romano. I wish Everybody Loves Raymond was less shit. Because I really (laughs) like Ray Romano. (laughs) Uh, I I, I love Raymond, I guess. Everybody does. Uh, Bobby Carnaval is in there. Yeah, uh, Anna Paquin's in there. She does I mean, nothing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Stephen Graham's in there. Now I love Stephen Graham, <laughs> but I am not a fan of Stephen Graham trying to pretend he doesn't have a funny voice. Hey, by doing hey, Bobby De Niro, come voice. over here! I'm gonna kick your fucking head in. <laughs> yeah, it's me doing a fucking American. Hey, we we are gonna. He was doing that kind. He was trying to do that this kind of American voice. This one here. And uh, but he's got too much of that coming out, so it's just fucking. What's going on? Fucking what? You fucking uh, hey, dinero, mate. Fucking hell. 
You're sitting here for extortion. I'm sitting here for fraud. So? So? So there's a difference. And what's the difference? I didn't threaten anybody. You did. So what? That makes no sense. What do you mean? It does. No, it doesn't, but I don't want to debate. Think about it. Thinking about it, Jimmy. No, don't fuck with me, Jimmy. Just do something about it. Bad. It's hot here in Florida, isn't it? I'm wearing fucking shorts and sandals. <laughs> it's a bad... I mean, it's just... I couldn't enjoy the actual acting because the, the, <laughs> the accent was so bad. It just ruined it for me. So that was a waste. Jesse Plemons is in there, briefly. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people in there are very good. So, you know, great cast, but very much like a... You know, it's like Avengers Endgame. Like, oh, here's... Uh, Howard the Duck for two seconds and then moving on. Yeah, and this is um, this is based on on real people as well and all that, and it's it's yeah. largely true story. Well, it's it's sort of based on one bloke telling his story, which may or may not be true. How true they are. Yeah, yeah. He, he, um, he... The Irishman. What else um, do we need to deal with here? It looks nice. Yeah, the cinematography is great. Uh, it's it's a very glossy, accomplished film. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it it really like individual scenes as well jumped out at me. There were moments where I was like, "Wow, Scorsese's the master," and some scenes that are very uneasy and unpleasant in a way that reminded me of what was missing, or really hammered home what was missing from Joker. More on that later. Uh, <laughs> but. Yeah, overall, it did nothing to wow me. I don't think I'll ever watch it again. And I mm. say this as a huge fan of Goodfellas and Casino. Uh, so, you know, give me a 90-minute cut. That's what I want. It's it, And it's not it's not that it was too long and boring. It was just that, like, it, it didn't need it all. It didn't all have to be in there. Yeah, that's what I mean. I think it would work better as a TV show. Like, you break it up a little bit, and it just feels a bit more like a novel, you know? It like feels yeah. like you're going on a journey. You can go on these sidelines. You can have a bit of just lazing around for depth and all this. Yeah. Um, whereas a film needs to be a bit more snappy, I think. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, but do people even remember Jimmy Hoffa anymore? Like, obviously, it's way before our generation. Plus, it was a more of an American thing anyway. But like Jimmy Hoffa, like as they say in the film, like he was massively famous and then he disappeared. But I don't know if people know. It's like making a film about Lord Lucan. It's like, yeah, I know the name. I think, you know, this is a film made for 72-year-old men. (laughs) You can make a film about someone without knowing who they were. I just watched um, season two of American Crime Story about the assassination of Versace. Didn't have a fucking clue who any of those people were, even though it was a real thing, and I found it fascinating. And but I think I think really it's good. I think what I mean is, you know, this is Scorsese and De Niro getting together and going, "Oh, this is a really interesting story." This person, yeah, I remember this, but that I I don't know if that their audience is the same anymore. I think maybe there's an argument that it's only an interesting story because it's real life and. If you haven't got that tie of, oh, I remember this happening and watching it, then it's a bit like, oh, it's just like every generic mob movie I've ever seen and there's nothing to make this one stand out. Mm. 
Well, the, the big thing about this uh, that, that seems to be Scorsese's thing in making this is that it is kind of really highlighting that there's no winners in this world. Everyone either dies or they live miserably because they've scared their kids away and, and all this. Like, it's very much kind of him going, I've glorified the gangsters for so long. I need to make something that says, hey, it's not a good way to live. You know, it's quite bad, actually. So that's what it feels like he's doing and like literally putting on screen like, oh, this person got shot in the head, uh, you know, like highlighting how everyone died uh, with violence and stuff. But they all died in really cool ways. <laughs> like this guy thrown off a balcony, set on fire. That's a cool way to die. That's like, oh, nice. <laughs> this guy shot in the face eight times. <laughs> This guy, buried up to his neck in sand, and then honey put all over his head so that bees come and eat his skin, and then it gets infected and dies of this guy. That like there was no one in there who was like this guy shat himself to death on the toilet like Elvis, because <laughs> that's not a gangster life. Yeah, well, you know you're trying to. You try not. You you want to not glamorize it. Do something like that. This guy, balls stamped on, bled out of his balls. Anyway, shall we rate it? <laughs> uh, I give it a seven out of ten. Like it does what it does, fine, and you know it's interesting. But I I have no desire to revisit it ever. Mm, I gave it a six. Same sort of principle, basically. Right. Right. Well. Uh, I guess we're jumping forward to 1966. But we've just been in the 80s when we finished on The Irishman, surely. Well, the no, 90s we've got to go even, back. We've got to go back. <laughs> we've got to go back to the future. Is DeLorean this one, I guess? I guess. Yeah, go for it. We are here. We, we've also jumped uh, across the world again to Le Mans This is Ford V Ferrari, also known as Le Mans 66 outside of America. Anyway, so this film came out what, in the middle of last year? Passed by without any notice. And for some reason, it's been nominated no, it for Best Picture uh, Oscar. What's that about? <laughs> you know, it came out... It came out in November. <laughs> so the, the very end of the year. During awards season. I missed it. I didn't notice it. It met with uh, significant acclaim. I missed that. Pretty positive reaction from audiences. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it wasn't... 
it was a bit of a surprise that it got a Best Picture nod. Although I did predict it ahead of time with my Oscar predictions. I, I did predict me. this would be in there, yeah. I wouldn't have said that anyone would have predicted this. This is the most unremarkable film of the year. Ah, it's a, it's a really inoffensive crowd pleaser. I'm not remotely surprised it's in here. It's the Green Book of this year. No, but Green Book at least had a bit of like emotional resonance to it. It had character. This is a, such a by-the-numbers basic film. I uh, I honestly cannot understand why this is getting any notice at all. I liked it. I thought I thought Christian Bale's always fun. Oh, Especially yeah. when he's doing a silly voice all the time. <laughs> I'm Christian Bale. Bloody hell, it's my wife driving like a maniac. Yeah, he was fun, yes. And then Matt, Matt Damon's in it. He's doing Tommy Lee Jones impression all the way through. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have no problem with them. It's just the plot is just... Yeah. There's, there's there's no conflict. Oh, well, there is conflict, but it's completely manufactured. It's just sort of obviously not. Look, I, I thought this... Watching it, I thought this is such a blatant bit of let's turn this real-life thing into the most kind of base, crowd-pleasing sort of yeah. drama that'll be nominated for Best Picture. Um, but it's it's just it's just entertaining in a very simple way. I think it's very, like, artificially assembled. Someone's really sat down and, and put the screenplay together scientifically. There's no there's no there's no heart to it. There's no love in this. It's a, yeah. it's a business transaction. But let's call it the McDonald's of legitimate cinema as in not a superhero film. I think it does that trick very well. It's it's really nicely shot. It's the music's good. It's nicely edited, well acted. It's difficult to take issue with on any real level. I I found it very entertaining, which I was surprised with because I have no interest whatsoever in motorsport or cars. I couldn't care less about them, but much like films like Black Swan made me find ballet temporarily interesting, this made me find motorsport temporarily interesting. I I was invested in what was going on and I, I cared about the characters, even though like you say, the stakes are ultimately, oh, some other people will win the race instead of these guys, and it doesn't, like, they're probably as worthy a set of winners as anyone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, frankly, I have nothing to say about it. <laughs> well, uh, I, I give it an 8 out of 10, which I think is going to piss you off. That is remarkable. I give it a 6. I mean, that is a low 8 out of 10, but... You exactly know. what it deserved, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was a perfectly fine watch, but what? Like, at least with Jojo Rabbit, I don't know why it's getting nominated for awards, but at least it's doing something. It's doing something. Well, I would argue that Jojo Rabbit doesn't work, whereas this works really well. It's a, a well-oiled machine. I'd rather have a swing and a miss, though, than than a, a, a safe... Haven't you had your fill of that, Alan? You watched Cats the other week. <laughs> Cats. <laughs> Noticeably absent. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, go on, I'll give it a six. Let's move on, because there's nothing to speak of here. We're jumping forward three years now, so we can just oh, wait yeah. this one out without a time machine. Oh, good, we'll just do this in real time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Irishman. But we're jumping forward three years now to uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we have spoken at, at length. We did an entire episode on this. Yeah, which is available uh, yeah. on Patreon. Yeah, bonus episode. One of our so... bonus episodes. We've done three, haven't we? 
I think three to date, yeah, full-length bonus episodes. Yeah. Patreon.com forward slash Dim Returns. It's a dollar yeah. a month. How little is that? Yeah, and it was a good one, I think. I, I think it came out right. quite nicely. What are we going to do then? Are we talking about this? or? So, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll drop a little clip in that truncated down to five or ten minutes from like an hour and a half that we spent <laughs> on this one for, I don't know. I think Tarantino can just fuck off now. <laughs> really? You're, wait. I'm, I'm sick of you. Really? You? You're yeah. telling me you didn't like yeah. this film? This aimless I film where nothing well. happens it's... and no one really yeah. does anything? That's your... You love that. I, I like that when it's interesting characters and character-driven stuff. It's still got to have some purpose behind any of it. Oh, these are interesting characters. That don't do anything. And it doesn't tell a story. It doesn't. You didn't like Brad Pitt's Cliff Booth. No. You didn't like Leonardo no. DiCaprio's Rick Dalton. I quite liked him. You didn't like my man, my main man. <laughs> who's that? Come on, who am I talking about? Come on. Uh, who's your main man? Come on. Uh, I don't know. Actually. Timothy Oliphant. Oh yeah, you do like Timothy Oliphant. I thought he did. He did a nice little job in this actual yeah, little. Uh... Like sort of scene stealing cameo in it. Really. Look, I I thought Brad Pitt was fantastic in this. I I really like Brad Pitt. I thought Leonardo DiCaprio really? was very good as well. I liked I, their uh... characters. I I I liked what they were going through. To be honest, um, I think the film lives and dies on those two characters. I don't think it has much to offer beyond them. I think a film about those two guys could have been interesting. The problem is it's trying to tie it into the tape Sharon Tate murder, and all that aspect of it, that whole bit, is not interesting. Until until the ending. And how you can take something like that and make it not interesting. Until the ending. Yeah. I mean, I guess, should we just address the whole Manson family stuff up front? Um, Spoiler alert. So, <laughs> basically, this film just repeats the trick of Inglorious Bastards. Which is also a problem, because we've already done it. Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> Whereas... I get it. Tarantino's doing a kind of trilogy of alternate history movies that are, you know, giving us cathartic takes on, you know, oh, wouldn't it be great if this was what happened instead? Rewriting history. And he did it with Inglorious Bastards. He did it kind of to a lesser extent with Django Unchained. And now he's done it with the, uh, the, the Manson family murders once upon a time in Hollywood. The problem is... It is the exact same trick as Inglorious Bastards, and, and whereas I sung the praises of that film for finding a way to have its cake and eat it too, and to be truly surprising and, and, and unexpected and inventive and all these things, and to play into the fact that the whole film is about the nature of the relationship between reality and art, and the way that art shapes our reality, and the way that it's contextually justified and subtextually justified in this film it is mm. just like it's just a big joke really isn't it and then it's kind of like yeah that'd be cool if Matt, wouldn't it be great if they got their faces smashed in yeah. those pricks and it's just a bit like uh... just oh fuck it's too it's just the tarantino is tarantino we know is so self-indulgent and there's no one cutting him back there's no one holding him back anymore because he's tarantino so they just let him do whatever he wants and someone needs to go fucking get a grip on yourself Cut out all the Sharon Tate stuff because it's not interesting and it's not even relevant to the to the film. I, I, the only thing but I could is think the of film. is that there were... being the filmmaker he is, and given that that seems to be the purpose of this, I can forgive a degree of self indulgence as long as he comes back and knocks it out of the park with his next film. 
I, I agree this film is a completely meandering, self-indulgent film, and all the scenes run far longer than they ought to. But it's weird, because it, it felt... When you're watching it, it feels like there's no plot here. This isn't going anywhere. But then almost every scene sets something up that pays off in the final confrontation, that big fight. Which is a weird way to kind of structure a film, but it it kind of gets away with it, I would say. The problem is, each of those scenes is maybe ten minutes too long, and they should have just trimmed them down to fuck. Um, you know, the, the, the scene where you see the scene where you see Leonardo DiCaprio struggling to remember his lines, for example. We didn't need to see 20 minutes of this shitty TV western he was making leading up to that. We only needed to see three yeah. minutes of that, perhaps, to get the point. Yeah. But Tarantino wants us to see his little playing in this other genre for 20 minutes. I, the, the one bit I really liked was when Leonardo DiCaprio does the proper acting. Mm. Um, and like he, so yeah, he has a, he's doing the, they're doing the scene and we see a lot of it. And it is a bit like, is this DiCaprio being sort of a bit shit on purpose? Cause like, obviously he's a very good actor and he's not doing like comedy bad acting, but it was just like, this just feels like him phoning it in, which is supposed yeah. to be like an average actor. He goes away, pumps himself up and everything comes back and fucking knocks the scene out of the park. And it's like, yes, that's Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. Um, and he does a great scene. And I like that. I yeah. like that. It's just like, that's just showing DiCaprio yeah. can do yeah. whatever yeah. He, he puts his mind to. But in case we don't, what, remind me what you rated it, Alan, out of 10? Well, I want to, to sum it up, I, I didn't like the film. I thought it was a real miss, misfire. I didn't like it really on any level. thought Leonardo DiCaprio was good. Um, I give it 3 out of 10. Oh, fucking hell. I don't remember it being that harsh. Well, I liked it. I thought it was Tarantino being very lazy and, and self-indulgent, but I'm all right with that. I enjoy... I gave it an 8 out of 10, but a low 8. Yeah, my, definitely my uh, worst film of the year. Really? Wow. Well. All right. So now we're going to kind of jump forward an indeterminate number of years to a kind of quasi 80s, sort of, 70s, yeah. we don't really know. Sort of New York 1980s. So I think, I think it's actually it. modern day, but for the sake of this, we'll just kind of... <laughs> An 80s time machine. I've already done Bill and Ted and Back to the Future. <laughs> uh, oh, it's the Necronomicon from Evil Dead. The year 1999, we slept too long, Alan. Whatever year we're in, Joker. Um, we spoke about this, we did a full episode, uh, readily available to the public. Uh, so you can go, and go back to it. Now. Yeah. Do you want to know what, which episode number it was? Yes. Alright, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a clip of, uh, of that episode that we've edited down just for refreshing yourself purposes. As a film, it's ambiguous in terms of what it's saying and why mm. it's saying it and all this sort of thing. I think it's ambiguous. I'm not convinced that it's 
a filmmaker creating ambiguity. I think it's perhaps just they didn't really know what they were doing. That's exactly that's my where take I'm. Com- that's yeah. where I'm not sure where it falls because I, it doesn't feel like the direction is solid enough in terms of like it knows what it's doing. Look, um, the best take on this film I have heard. The thing where I listened to it and I went, of course, and it all clicked into place for me. And I am stealing someone else's opinion by saying this. Uh, Can you credit them? You. <laughs> uh, they they were on the Slash Film podcast, and it wasn't Peter Cesaria. It was one of the other two. Okay. Um, That's close. So he said something to the effect of, this film thinks it's Martin Scorsese, uh, but it's more like Michael Winner. <laughs> And he wasn't even saying that as a complete and utter dismissal. He was just saying it thinks it's high art, but it's not. It's gritty, sleazy, B-movie exploitation cinema. It's like those other films in the 70s and 80s that were trying to rip off Scorsese, but without yeah. an understanding of what made them work. And and that that is this film. It It's basically it's a film that thinks it's so much more intelligent than it actually is. And it's a shame because there, there's a lot to love in this film. Yeah, um, but there's. But a lot I think to I hate. think you're exactly right. I think it just thinks it's cleverer than it is. I think that's exactly right, and I think that really appeals to a certain type of film audience. Yeah, um, <laughs> we think we've discussed that before, haven't we? There's... But I think for, for me, like all the Batman stuff was. A bit of a distraction, and I, oh god, I kept feeling yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't I feel like oh, this doesn't need this. The, the, the story, yeah, take, doesn't need it. Take Batman so, out of the film by all means, but the fact that it's the Joker in Gotham City, the fact that mm. it's the Joker, I think that's the the the, the thing. I mean, the, the one of one of the worst. It definitely sells more tickets, but does it make it a better film? Yeah, because I I think without that, this is just a film about an unpleasant man spiralling into psychosis and frankly I've seen okay that before that. yeah, yeah right but haven't that. you seen that a million times before the same way that you know we've seen superheroes do XYZ a million times before at least by making this connected to a huge huge one of the biggest franchises in the world it's an interesting experiment the fact they've made like a 30 million character piece that's connected to superhero movies is kind of insane and um I'll be honest and I I'm I'm really hoping you disagree with me here. I've got a feeling you're not going to disagree with me. I was not blown away by Wacking Phoenix in this film. That's so it's funny I, those are the exact words I used when oh, I was talking dear. about it. I said I I liked it. I thought it was good, but I was not blown away. It's annoying because even people who don't like this film have largely all been praising his performance. And I went into this thinking, look, if I get nothing else out of it, I'm getting Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. I love Joaquin Phoenix. I think he's a phenomenal actor. I, I prefer him as an actor to Heath Ledger. Um, is this on par with Heath Ledger's Joker? Is it fuck? Is it on par with Mark Hamill's Joker? Nope. Is it what about Jared Leto? Oh, God. I mean, fuck's sake. That's not even... <laughs> Doesn't but even I, I, you, enter the conversation, can, Alan. He's he's totally committed to it. You know, he's obviously gone yeah. full in. But ultimately, it feels a bit. I don't know. Superficial is it? Is it too shallow? Yeah, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. I look right. So this is this is tied intrinsically to the Joker's characterization throughout the film. Now, 
I will acknowledge uh, this is a reinterpretation of the character. There's no definitive take on the Joker. You can play with these things. However, generally speaking, in the comics I've read, in the films I've seen, in the games I've played, the Joker is meant to be a criminal mastermind. Mm -hmm. A real Machiavellian type. But more so, he's meant to be funny. (laughs) And this film initially presents the Joker as... Because the Joker's always mentally ill, but he's usually mentally ill in that he's a psychopath or, um, you know, things of that nature. Whereas this film just presents him as, like, uncharismatically mentally ill. I, I don't know how else to put it. It presents him as he doesn't understand how to interact with human beings. He doesn't understand humour. He doesn't mm. understand society. Um, it's personality disorder, isn't it? I'm I'm okay with that because I think that's very that's 2019, isn't it? Like we we look at mental health in a different way now. It's not just like wacky, funny mental illness now. It's yeah, look, I, I'm 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 not averse to them changing that aspect of the character. I'm not a big fan, however, that he then idiot savants his way through the second and third act of the film. Well, the third act of the film, you know, it, if he's not a criminal mastermind, how come he's so good at you know? slipping around and eluding the police and so on. It's like the film can't decide if he's doing it on purpose or not. And more so than that, how come he suddenly becomes funny out of nowhere? He actually becomes quite witty and and, um, playful. And and can talk properly and stuff. Yeah. He he starts off the film being so Um, only my mother How come? Knock, knock. Who's there? It's me, the Joker. And, And it's cringy. And then you get to the end of the film, and I was laughing out loud when <laughs> when he when he said his <laughs> when he said knock knock who's there it, it's the police your son's been in a serious accident <laughs> that was Which, the, that was the look, that's a classic well. joke I've heard it before but I mean it's a it's a classic for a reason this is something of a problem as well like okay first of all I think. The way that I deal with that is I think the entire third act is just in his head. But, again, we'll look into that in a bit. But I... And and again, this is why I don't know if the filmmakers are doing this deliberately, but that whole last bit where he becomes this Andy Kaufman-esque character on a TV show, Mm. I I loved him. He was fantastic entertainment. (laughs) Exactly. But are we supposed to dislike him at that point? It's... That's the sort of the ambiguity that I don't think is deliberate. I don't think I did love him. That I found his Joker quite unappealing in a way that I don't typically find the Joker. And you know, I'll give the film credit. Maybe that's on purpose. But there, there was one scene that I will point to uh, where this film worked for me, where this film clicked into gear and it was firing on all cylinders, and I loved it. And if the whole film had been like this, I would have loved it. And the main reason that it worked for me was his performance was pitch perfect. That Joker was fun and charismatic, but darkly scary, and it did everything at once that it was supposed to. Um, do you, by any chance, know the scene I'm talking about? Um, or was it just? I'm, I'm just. I'm interested as to whether it stood out to you as much as it did to me, because it, it really was like leagues beyond <laughs> the rest of the film for me. 
No, nothing is jumping to mind. Go on. Um, so the scene where his two ex-colleagues come round to his flat to oh, yeah. check up on him, and he brutally murders one of them with a pair mm. of scissors. Now, the, the violence is raw. And that's something I'll say for this film. It, the violence throughout it is is raw and unpleasant and brutal. And I thought that was great. Because there's been a lot of criticism uh, from people who I don't think have actually seen the film that this film is going to glamorise violence and incite all sorts of God knows what. And I don't think it does glamorise violence. I think... I think the way the violence is shot is very unpleasant in this film, and it's just matter-of-fact, and it kind of lets you sit in it in a way that isn't particularly fun. So that alone was kind of disturbing, and then to have Joaquin Phoenix just lying there, splattered with blood, and this other guy in the corner going, oh! And to be fair, maybe they could have cast a better actor for the other guy for the scene (laughs) to work, because it was partly funny, just him going, oh, oh! Oh my god! Then, you know, Whacking Phoenix just came into his own as the Joker there, and he started going, Oh, top of the morning, don't worry about it, mate. <laughs> and like <laughs> laughing away. And then the guy awkwardly, you know, steps past him and he goes, Rah! and like jumps and starts laughing. That is the Joker. That is playful, but evil and scary. And then the fact that it leads to this kind of punchline, this very uneasy joke of this little person struggling to reach the the lock to let himself out of the the flat and then he has to ask Arthur the joker and you can hear in his voice to give the actor credit he does a remarkable job there of of portraying that kind of humiliation and and yeah having to ask him to be allowed to go and then you get this weird moment of twisted morality from the Joker, and it, it just gives him all this depth. That whole scene was phenomenal, I thought. And if the whole film had been like that, I would have loved it. But it wasn't. And like I say, I just thought it was inconsistent. I realise I keep going off on all sorts of tangents here, but I thought the Joker was very inconsistent, and not in a good way. He, Because he wasn't, like... He didn't seem to know what he was doing half the time. And not in a... Yeah. I'm like a dog chasing cars kind of way. Just in a I'm mentally ill and I'm going to climb inside the fridge kind of way. Oh, and if you like that, guys, go and listen to the full episode. Still available. It is episode 179. Ding dong. Oh, hello. Open the door there. Hello. It's me, Joker. Which which Joker are you exactly? I'm mad. I am. I'm the office Joker. <laughs> <laughs> I colour in my teeth with highlighter pens, <laughs> and then I go down to the bank <laughs> and I take out a hundred pounds in pennies <laughs> and I throw them at pigeons <laughs> because I don't like society. <laughs> I'm warming to him. I'm warming to the office joke. <laughs> is it possible the world treats you bad because you're an arsehole? Has it no. considered this possibility? No. <laughs> I am the disenfranchised underclass of society. It's not like, why don't you like try and overthrow the government or something? Do something useful. No. No. Can you can you like accidentally start 
a riot by wearing a mask. I'll do that. I'll go on dailymail.com and where it says Harry and Meghan stepping back, I'll leave a comment that says, stupid bitch. <laughs> and I'll get 725 likes. That's, that's quite an original funny comment. How do you come up with these lines? <laughs> anyway, I've got to dash. Oh. I'm going to go poke some holes in hovercrafts. <laughs> Where would you even find a hovercraft? You know, I'm going to I'm going to go and put some eggs in vegan cakes. You know how mad I am. Oh, go on, how mad are you? I went to see Joker in the cinema three times. All right, see ya. Nice. Um, so that was what a typical listener <laughs> just popped in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Joker, though. Yeah. I mean, part of me wants to say it's nice to see genre film being acknowledged this way, but... But not like this, you know that. <laughs> this isn't what we want. It's like a, it's like an ironic Twilight Zone premise. Yeah. Uh, I read something the other day that really hammered home something that I hadn't quite articulated when we spoke about it, which is that the entire world it inhabits is just so fucking artificial. If the whole point of the film is a critique of society and the world and how it can turn good men evil. Although plenty of, you know, plenty of people go through hardship and don't become murderers that we're supposed to uh, be on side of. But anyway, if the entire point is that, like, society is terrible, then present something resembling society in your film, as opposed to this completely inauthentic take on how a clown business would work, or how a chat show would work, or how... Uh, stand-up comedy scene would work, or how, mm. or or how a gang uprising would work. Like it just it, nothing about the film is remotely legitimate or authentic, and so yeah, yeah. Fuck Joker. Uh, it pisses me off that it's in this running. It doesn't deserve to be here. Uh, although I liked it more than Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> if I try and be objective about it and take it on its own merits, at least it was a bold swing. For something. What did you uh, rate it in the end? I gave it a 6 out of 10. I gave it a 7. It's not as clever as it thinks it is. I think that sums it up pretty well, doesn't it? And it's not as clever as everyone else thinks it is. Yeah. And, you know, watching Scorsese's The Irishman really hammered it home. You know, what you get in a Scorsese film versus... This is Scorsese light. It's it's Scorsese cosplay. It's Mm. a shitty knockoff Scorsese film. And it doesn't have anything to say other than, hey, I watched uh, Taxi Driver and it was cool. I'm not sure I really understood it, but I'm going to do that, but with a clown. Mm. Uh, And that's this film. And, you know, fair play. It's shot really nicely. The music's great. The acting is decent. It's fucking offensive. Again, we're talking about offensive nominations. It is offensive this film is up for best adapted screenplay. Even most people I know who like the film will concede that it is a bad script that has been well put together. Anyway, moving on. Next up, we've got two left. We'll go back to normal time. To 2019. 
Which is, I think, when Joker's set, but it's ambiguous, so it's not ambiguous anymore. Now we're definitely, definitively in 2019. Uh, yeah. Let's hop in uh, some sort of cryo tube. Oh, yeah, let's do Demolition Man. Let's freeze ourselves. Yeah, let's do that. For, uh, for several right. years. Attention, stage one. Laser cutting begins. Laser cutting complete. Stage two, warm liquid goo phase beginning. Warm liquid goo phase complete. Stage three, reanimation beginning. Reanimation complete. Ah, oh, what, how refreshing. Shall I go for a comically long piss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny just, when Mike Myers did it. I'll wipe this goo off. You can, you can do that. I'm just, I'm not gonna have a proper. I'm just gonna have like a, a. Uh, I'm just gonna wipe myself with, uh, with a flannel, with some baby wipes. <laughs> Parasite, arguably the Roma of this year's Oscars. A uh, foreign, a foreign darling, uh, beloved by filmy people. Uh, really, really latched onto by filmy people who seem to see something in it that I don't. Yes. Unlike uh, Roma, I do like Parasite. Uh, I don't want to come across <laughs> like I'm slagging it off. But I watched this film earlier this year. It was getting a lot of buzz. All this great Korean film. And I thought, yeah, it was a nice little foreign film. Uh, nothing remarkable. Yeah. But well, enjoyable. I liked it. And now suddenly it's up for Best Picture. And some people think it's going to win, in fact. It's, people are calling it like the best, best film of the decade. I, I just don't get it. Well... I agree. Um, I enjoyed it, but I don't know what the the next level is, <laughs> you know. But I do think if you if you're the Academy and you want to throw a, a foreign film in your Best Picture nominees, then uh, yeah, do the one that won the Palm Door. <laughs> it's a pretty safe bet. <laughs> like you can't go. Uh, at least you know you're not going to embarrass yourself. Uh, yeah. yeah, I agree with you. I. I enjoyed it. I feel like there is like it's saying something about society and class, but I don't think it really quite made it. Oh, it's not saying anything particularly like amazing. And I've seen loads of praise for it being so twisty and turny and going in different directions, but I think it actually just felt quite disjointed. Um, do you know what I mean? Like it, it pursued tangents. And I don't think it necessarily felt like the most beautifully constructed whole as a result of it. So yeah, it is um, Bong Joon-ho, who's a pretty renowned director already. Um, I'm sure you've seen a, a few of his films before. Uh, one of his favourite actors in it, uh, who I've seen uh, in those films of Bong Joon-ho I've seen. Uh, so yeah... It's uh, now which one is it? I'm not familiar with their names here. And I, I think the point is, it's yeah, it's about class. Like, who is the real parasite? Is it this family that are creeping into this rich people's house, or is it the rich people who are leeching off the poor for their labor and not paying them enough or whatever? But I don't know. Is that the point? Uh, but if you're gonna do that, make it 
clearer, I guess, make it... Yeah, and, I, and I'll, I'll be honest, if you're just going to give me a critique of the uh, class system in South Korea, I mean, Gangnam Style did that in four minutes, it was much more <laughs> yeah. enjoyable, so just give me that. Let's actually talk about the film a little bit, uh, maybe some spoiler alerts in here, because there's a few things that might come up. So, you've got this sort of very poor family who are kind of scrabbling around in some shitty little basement apartment and uh, trying to earn money where they can. But you, you do get the impression that they're, they're willing to work. They're just... The opportunities aren't there. An opportunity arises, and, and it, I like the way that this progresses. So the first time you get this kid, this young lad, and he he basically has to lie to get this job. He has to forge his papers. But they even make a point of him going like, no, I don't feel like this is forged because I'm just sort of... I haven't got this qualification yet, but I will. And so I'm just helping myself out. And it's kind of like, it's still morally kind of high ground. Then they talk his sister into the job. And that's kind of a little bit more like morally ambiguous because, you know, she's basically bullshitting, but then she's teaching art, which is bullshit anyway. So it's like, okay, who's being hurt? They're just getting money out of these rich people because they're, you know, whatever. And then it's like they starting to make other people lose their jobs in order to benefit them. And I, I like this sort of progression where you're kind of going along with them. You go, okay, yeah, that's fair enough. Like, yeah, I'm, they're still the good guys. And then you sort of like going, okay, no, this is like getting out of hand now. And that's kind of throughout the film as it keeps going further and further and further. I like that um, in terms of writing that works because it yeah. brings you along with them. And you've got this rich family, but they're not... I mean, they're not particularly portrayed as like a horrible, rich bastards or anything. So I guess points for subtlety, but if we're supposed to be, I don't know what I'm supposed to feel about them, you know? Like, or what, like, or the only the only way I can make something deeper out of this is if there's something more to them, which there isn't. Do you know what I mean? And like the the kids, we never really get any development out of, yeah. even though the boy falls in love with this girl, and like that never really feels genuine. Um, I watched it and I thought, yeah, nice little film. A lot of unexpected plot developments, satisfying, uh, good acting, quirky. You know, I, I, I enjoyed it, but I suppose I didn't really think about it on any real deeper level, mm. uh, which perhaps I should have done. And maybe that isn't, maybe that's why I didn't come away as blown away by the film as, as uh, other people yeah, seem but to. Yeah, but like I say, because of all the attention it's got, I've tried to find it on a deeper level and haven't. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not yeah. an idiot. Like what am I missing here? Yeah, it's all right. I liked it. Seven out of ten. Yeah, I liked it. Seven out of ten. Well, we're going out on a high note for me. All right. Last film to talk about: Marriage Story. Yeah. Noah Bombach. Yeah. Uh, I'll just say it. My favorite of this selection of films. Yeah. By. Actually, not by a considerable amount, because 1917 was also very good. Uh, but, no, I really like this film. I don't know, it just did it for me, you know? It, it's mm-hmm. very... It reminded me of Kramer vs. Kramer, which I'm sure you've seen. And I love Kramer vs. Kramer. Yeah. Uh, I, I suppose I've... I don't, I don't really know what this subgenre is, but I really like it. Uh, I've not really seen anything from Noah Baumbach before. I, I have seen Greenberg, but I don't think that one counts. Adam Driver, phenomenal. I, I think he's a great actor. I think he is probably my pick for best performance uh, lead actor of the year, based mm-hmm. on this film. 
Uh, you've not really been sold on him in the past. Has this film done anything to win you over to Team Driver? <laughs> Let me ask you a question, though. What What do you think I felt about this film? Um... I don't know, you're difficult, Alan. You could be anything from absolutely loving it to despising it. Or, you know, you could just be complete indifference. I really don't know with you. I think, I I would have thought you'd like this film, because it's quite a cynical <laughs> slice of life without much story. It really yeah. is just a character piece, and I think it does it very well. And there's some great performances to guide you through it. So if you can get over the Randy Newman music in the background, then... Yeah, I think on paper this sort of should tick a lot of boxes. It, it does appeal to a lot of things that I like. And I did enjoy it, but my problem was it really wound me up. Like, all the things are happening. Because, and I, th- it's deliberate. Like, the film is sort of exposing just, like, how horrible marriage is and how horrible the divorce system in america is and it just wound me up so much that i couldn't enjoy the film oh well you you definitely shouldn't watch uncut gems then because <laughs> i mean again that that is like it's one of the most tense thrillers I've, I've seen in recent years and it's all because the main character is an idiot who makes bad decisions but <laughs> <laughs> so like <laughs> but like that that was basically my problem watching marriage story even though i like all the pieces to like together are, are great it was just, I, I found it very difficult to watch. Mm. Uh, like on, a, and I think, like I said, I think that means it's successful in what it's trying to do. It's showing yeah. this side of stuff, but that meant it just was not an enjoyable watch for me, and that that sort of uh. affected it. I also think that it's ultimately quite a simple film. Um, oh yeah, god yeah, of course it is. And it is just like, well, yeah, Kramer versus Kramer, <laughs> like you. Can, make this 40 years ago when it'll win Best Picture Oscar, but it, it, it feels like you could make this story 40 years ago. I'm not sure anything's changed, really. Yeah. Um, that's fine, though. I, I, I don't need every film to reinvent the wheel. I, I think it is yeah. doing something very simple, but I think it's doing it very well, and, and that's fine. I'm, I'm happy to to watch a, a, a simple story told well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I was slightly... Uh underwhelmed maybe that's probably a little bit harsh i'm not sure really but i did enjoy it like i well basically i i didn't enjoy it but i th- i thought it was a good film <laughs> right. uh, like i thought the acting was great um yeah yeah so adam driver specifically yeah like i've yeah. only really seen him in star wars which is obviously just yeah i thought it was very good and i see why you like him i was i did particularly think though isn't he going to make a great old man? Like, <laughs> there's just something uh, about him that will really work as like a 60-year-old, and I think it's going to be great. He's very grounded. He's very sort of strong, like not physically, but you know what I mean? Just sort of like he has a great presence. Mm. Um, yeah, he's, he's good. I, I, I like him. Um, Scarlett Johansson is one of those people who is obviously is a good actor, and she's great in this. Mm. But it, I always feel like... She's acting, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Scarlett Johansson I really like, but I could take her a lever in this film. She doesn't really wow me here. She's doing some proper acting, unlike Jojo yeah. Rabbit, but uh, whatever. She doesn't do anything to wow me here. But I think she has her moments. She's, also... she's fine in it. She's good. 
I, I would say she's a supporting actor rather than a lead actor in this, but that I mean, I, I just I wouldn't agree with that. I think she's she has her own her own moments, her own character stuff. I, I, she's not well, yeah, but she's, she's not, not the lead, is she? I think they're co-leads. I haven't got a problem really? with that. I think Adam Driver's the protagonist of the film, and she's a she's the biggest supporting character. Um, no, I don't think that's fair because it's not just his character arc. She goes through her own thing. I think it is. I think it's told from his perspective. Well, no, we see her doing stuff that he's not related to. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Even if we go off screen time, it's like a. It's got to be like 60 40, 70 30, something like that. There's no way it's 50 50. That's okay. I don't like this whole two lead actors in a film bullshit the Oscars tries to pull. It's like when they gave. What's, what's, Gam- what's his name? The guy with the eyes. Fuck, what's his name? <laughs> Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when Forrest Whitaker got best lead actor for playing Idi Amin, even though he's like a supporting actor. Yeah. It pisses me off. I think I think in this case it's fine. I've not got a problem with that. I don't know. I really enjoyed every little scene just on its own. It, it, it felt like a series of short films that were kind of loosely connected, I think. I but thought that I, as well. I didn't necessarily think that was a good thing. Um, yeah, I, I, normally that might... In terms of might... the flow of the film. But yeah, yeah, I thought the exact same thing. These scene, It felt very sort of disjointed scenes. Yeah, normally that sort of thing would annoy me. But I liked it. I, I liked seeing him... I mean, that was my favourite moment, was when he cut his hand and then had to... That was just... Real. That was like... <laughs> so just put this broad comedy moment in the middle of this drama. Like that, yeah. And then Wallace Shawn. It's like, it's, what, what are these moments? Like it, it felt like it was just didn't know what its tone was. I've heard a lot of people call this film a comedy, and I think it's very firmly a drama that just has one big comedy scene in the middle. <laughs> it was... It has a yeah, it has a couple of little comedy moments, but yeah, it's not a comedy, no. Mm. Uh, I mean, Laura Dern is well worth mentioning, giving her. Yeah, you love Laura Dern now. Yeah, and I used to find her annoying and not understand what the appeal was, and this converted me. She's great in this film, scene stealing in quite a small amount of screen time. Really, I think she's going to yeah. win the Oscar for this film. I think for she's best good. Supporting actor. Partly the problem is that the character she's playing. Is so hateable. So yeah, but you you seem to really struggle with objectivity. I can like uh, also I think criminally overlooked at all the awards is Alan Alder, who yeah, I think gives great. a fantastic. I mean, it's it's Alan Alder being Alan Alder, but uh, do you need anything more than that? He's brilliant. I love him, and he's great in this. And I think it's a real shame that he's not really being acknowledged anywhere. Uh, yeah, that's the sort of performance that slips into best supporting actor, like an old fella. Yeah. 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 Um, Ray Liotta was a nice little highlight as well. Yeah, he was good, yeah. Doing his yeah. Th- uh, do you know what? I actually really rate Ray Liotta. He's one of those people who, like, every time I see him, I go, do you know what? He's really good. And then you kind of forget because <laughs> he's like, he's never had this real standout role. Mm. Um, good fellas, I guess. It's a real actor's film, I think. I think it's one of those films oh, that's obviously absolutely. tailored to allow the actors to come through. And if it's yeah. got a good enough story that it that actually holds together. Uh, it's still put together well. Um, but the thing is, a film like this, I want it to be an indie film. I don't want it to be a big uh, award-baiting film. I, I want it to be dirty and grimy and small. And... I think there's room for both. I know, but I like my film small. I wish you'd seen Uncut Gems, Alan. I really do. <laughs> I wish it had been up for Best Picture, like it deserved to be. Because Now, you, said, you did say... Um, you know, 
Marriage Story has a score by Randy Newman. Yeah. Oscar nominated, in fact. I honestly, if you'd if we'd been talking here and you'd said, Oh, isn't it interesting this film had no score at all? That was unusual. I would have gone, Oh yeah, I suppose so. No, Are I did kidding? not notice the score whatsoever. Oh, come and this was on. After you, Honestly, I did. I, it's I, the I don't most know if I just overbearing. I think I might be deaf to music. I, I don't. You, know I you do. thought 1917 was overbearing. This was the most overbearing. Adam Driver like closing a door, like just like bland drama, nothing interesting. I have to go back and watch it because I, I honestly did not. I, I, I cannot tell you anything about music in this one. Randy Newman plink plonking on his piano. Scarlett Johansson. Walking down the street. So, and the driver cuts his hand like me. (laughs) Oh no, the blood's coming through the shirt. Will the child protective services opportunity be hurt? (laughs) <laughs> Maybe. So, yeah. so I've got a little quiz for you. Randy Newman has been Oscar nominated twice this year for the score for that and for song for uh, Toy Story 4. Uh, how many Oscar nominations has Randy Newman had altogether? Oh, Jesus Christ. Right, Toy Story, two for Toy Story, I reckon... Uh, maybe one for Toy Story 2 for the song but not the score. Probably the same again for Toy Story 3. I reckon uh, two for Tangled. You I reckon are, he got uh, correct most of these by the sound of it. Yes, I reckon show. he got both Tangled. for Tangled score and song. I reckon, but I think Tangled. he won for Tangled. I'm not seeing anything for Tangled here. Did he do the music for Tangled? Am I confusing it with something? Well, oh he shit! Did, no, sorry, <laughs> sorry. He didn't do Tangled, did he? He did the Princess and the Frog, and then yes. he got the other shit. Right, starting again. Toy Story 1, 2, 3, so the four for the three Toy Stories. Princess and the Frog, I reckon he got a song nomination, but nothing else. Okay, yeah, yeah. I reckon maybe he got something for A Bug's Life. Uh, yes. I'm trying to think what other Pixar films he scored. Uh, um, before they started getting good people like Michael Giacchino in. There's one, no, two, two more Pixar films. Did he do... Did he do something like When Harry Met Sally? <laughs> um, well, I feel no, like he did not... an old 80s film or something. No. Yeah, there is an 80s, a few <sighs> 80s ones. Pixar. Uh, well, it's not The Incredibles. It's not... Uh... Oh, Cars? Cars, yeah. Yeah. And... Mm, Cars 2? <laughs> <laughs> no. Is there, no song for Cars, Cars 3? No, 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 no. Neither song nods for that. There. Okay. Uh... All right. I'll go. I'll go through them for you. Right. All right. <clears throat> we'll go through in chronological order. Uh, score and song for Ragtime. Ragtime uh, is Ragtime. 
Gonna go. What time is it? It's wreck time. Uh, best original score for The Natural. It's a natural. The way I look at you. The way you look at me. It's <laughs> all that I can't see. It's so natural. Original song for Parenthood. Parenthood. I'm your <laughs> dad. You're my mom. Today we're going in the sun. It's Parenthood. Um, best uh, original score for Avalon. And when I see you, I feel alone. It's Avalon. <laughs> Avalon. Uh, best original song for the paper. What the fuck that is? The paper, don't cut yourself on the paper. It's arriving today. It's the paper and the news today. What's happening? Some bad stuff. Mm, it's a Ron Howard film. Okay, then we've got uh, best score and best original song for Toy Story. Toy Story! Toy <laughs> Story! How many stories do you know? I know one, it's called Toy Story. Well, you know what song that was? Do you got with me? <laughs> okay, then we've got best score, musical or comedy, for James and the Giant Peach. James and Giant Peach, how big is your peach? Oh no, my peach is so big you couldn't eat it if you tried. <laughs> and then for, for the 98 Oscars, he was nominated for three different Oscars for three different films. Uh, so, best score <clears throat> drama for Pleasantville. Pleasantville! How nice is it over here in the TV? It's very pleasant in Pleasantville! In the TV. Uh, best score musical or comedy for A Bug's Life? Is it Ants with Woody Allen? No, it's A Bug's Life! And then, best original song for Babe Pig in the City? Oh, it's a pig! Oh, it's a city! It's a pig in the city, it's babe, babe. Do you know what the song was? You got a pig in the city. <laughs> it's called That'll Do. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, best original song for Toy Story 2. Toy Story 2. You still <laughs> got a friend in me. Do you know what the song was? When I was a toy. We used to hang out, it was beautiful. It's called When She Loved Me. Yeah. It's the one with Jesse, uh, isn't it? Best uh, original song for Meet the Parents. Oh, it's De Niro. Oh, it's De Stiller. My name is Ben De Stiller. And I'm gonna see you, De Niro. And I can lie to your face, but you know, because you're a human lie detector. Puff the Magic <laughs> okay. Dragon. It's the song about a dragon. It's not about weed. 2002. Best original score and best original song for which film? Oh, 2002. Uh, 2001, the film. Monsters, Inc. Monsters, Inc. Oh, of course. course. I know that as well. It's, uh, if I were a witch man with trouble or two, couldn't be nothing if I didn't have you. One now, nothing if I didn't have you. Um, That was his first win for that song. That was his first win. He didn't After win for Toy Story. Nominations. Nope. Uh, best original song for Cars. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Boom, It's a car with a face. <laughs> for the song, what do you know what the song is called? No. Our it town. can't be true. <laughs> best original song for two different songs from Princess and the Frog. 
because the academy really has run out of ideas. Papa, I don't have time for dancing. That's just gonna have to wait a while. Do you know what the other one is? If you got some friends on the other side. <laughs> Down in New Orleans. Next one, which he also... This was the other one he won. Uh, Toy Story 3 for best original song. For the song... Lots you know. of hog and bear. Gonna <laughs> hug you. Lots of hog and bear. Toy Story 3. Uh, we Belong Together. Yeah, and then this year's nominations as well. 22 altogether. Jesus Christ. Deserve it? Mm. <laughs> 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 uh, okay, so what's your pick then? What to win? Best picture. What do you think? What What's your favorite is Marriage Story? Uh, what do you yeah. think is going to win? 1917. I think pretty I... firmly, actually. I. I agree, uh, yeah. probably, yeah. I, I was my, initially saying it that, that it was all to play for, but I, I think it's probably 1917. I mean, it could my, there could be an upset. It could be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No, 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 no. It could be. could be Parasite. My top rated one was 1917. It was the only one I gave an 8 to. Um, oh, shit, yeah, what did you give Marriage Story? 7. I gave it an 8. I think Marriage Story deserves it, but it won't win. I wouldn't be... Su- I wouldn't be totally shocked if it did. Yeah, it wouldn't be. It's not outside the realm of possibility. If it wins, it'll be the same thing as Green Book, where it was everyone's second or third pick, because it's yeah. very hard to dislike. Adam Driver's a pretty good shout for Best Actor, because it is... Yeah, I That's I the do, sort of Oscar that that film will win. I do not think he's going to win it. I would um, love it if he did. I um, forget. Oh, yeah, I think it's going to be Joaquin Phoenix, but if anyone's going to upset that, it will be Adam Driver in Marriage Story. Uh, yeah. yeah, I haven't seen Banderas or Jonathan Price yet. Um... Banderas was very good in, in that film, Pain and Glory, but uh, I mean, he's. I'd, I'd go with DiCaprio or Adam Driver over him, certainly. Uh, I haven't seen Bombshell, Judy, or Harriet, so I. Well, I have seen Bombshell. And uh, I have to say, I, I really enjoyed it. It's very much a crap Adam McKay knockoff by, mm-hmm. uh, what's his name? Austin Powers director, Jay yeah. Roach, trying to follow in the heels yeah. of the Ferrelli brothers and Adam McKay. Um, but I really enjoyed it in spite of that, the same way I enjoy Pepsi, even though it isn't Coke. Uh, it's not nearly as good, but very good acting interesting fun film and uh i mean margot robbie was by far and away the best thing in it so i think it's wonderful she's been nominated for best supporting actor uh actress rather than just giving it to her for once upon a time in hollywood like i thought they were mm-hmm. gonna do um charlize theron i like a lot but i don't know if it was a awards worthy performance she gave personally um i wouldn't be surprised if scarlett hansen won that or, well, I mean, it's going to be Renee Zellweger for Judy. She's the right? favourite. That... All right, okay. I haven't seen that, but I, it's exactly the sort of role that's going to yeah. garner you. I, I haven't, I haven't seen it either. But I mean, I can believe it. That's the favourite, and I can totally believe she's going to win. But uh, actor in a supporting role is an interesting one because the the bookies' favourites uh, is is Brad Pitt. Once upon a time in Hollywood, he's been winning mm. all the other ceremonies. I. 
I've got a feeling Tom Hanks is going to be an upset here. I think he's going to steal it away. I think not only is he very good in A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, but I think that Mr. Rogers has just such... He's such a big part of so many people in America's upbringing, and he means such a lot to them that I just think they'll... And it's Tom Hanks. They love Tom Hanks. Yeah, I mean, I'm not... I'm not fussed about Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't think he's doing anything special there. I I think, I, I think he's very good. I think he's worth nominating, but I, I wouldn't give him the award over Tom Hanks, personally. I, I think it, it would feel like kind of lifetime achievement thing. Yeah. Uh, rather than for that film particularly. I don't think that's justified. I don't think Brad Pitt is a particularly great actor. I think he's a great star. I think he's Yeah, I think um, he's incredibly charismatic, and that goes a long way. Oh yeah, I've got no problem with him, and I think he's actually a very. I think he's a competent actor, and I've seen him do a couple of good things. But I don't think he's really name going down in Oscar history worthy. To be honest with you, yeah, I haven't seen Anthony Hopkins in that either. But Laura Dern's going to win supporting actress. I think out yeah. of the nominations, I would give it to Margot Robbie in Bombshell, but Laura Dern is very, very worthy of it. I would say director. Director is going to be Sam Mendes, nineteen seventeen. I think people will respond to the uh, technical achievement. Yeah, I think we can say the same for cinematography without too much trouble. Oh, there. no question, cinematography. Original screenplay is a tough one. I think that will be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because they'll go. This is a very uh, written film. This film's been very written, and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna yeah. respond to that. Honestly, I would go Marriage Story there. I would, uh, on my own personal preference, definitely, but I don't think that's going to be... I think 1917 is a miss there. That feels out of place. It's like, that's of all the things you can praise about that film, it's not... Yeah, I agree. You know, it just doesn't make much sense. Oh, completely agree, yeah. And uh, on on the same level, uh, Joker, an adapted screenplay. And Jojo Rabbit, frankly, for a film that was blatantly so heavily improv it's a bit... Um, yeah. Questionable. I think that's going to go to the Irishman, I reckon. Maybe mm. Little Women. I don't know. It could, it could go anywhere, that, really. Uh, what else have we got? Editing. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> editing could go to any of them. Production design deserves to go to 1917. I'm not sure it necessarily will. Costume, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Little Women. I think it'll be one of those two. Makeup could easily go to... Well, any of those, really. I think it'll probably be Bombshell, but... Music, I reckon, will go to Joker. Uh, Don't care about sound. Been 1917, anyway. Visual effects probably ought to go to The Lion King, I would say, but I think it's (laughs) going to go to 1917. I mean, yeah, one thing The Lion King's got... (laughs) It's just a special effect for an hour and a half. Uh, Don't care about documentary... Animated, uh, animated feature film probably going to be Toy Story four, but I would be so happy if Toy Story four lost out to I Lost My Body. Well, I watched I Lost My Body yesterday. Go on. You, I know you've really been raving about this. It's your second favorite film of the year, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's why I watched it. I wouldn't have otherwise. And um, I was just curious: is there another I Lost My Body? And I watched the shit one. <laughs> Fuck off! <laughs> I don't Ooh, know what. It's not. It wasn't even about. It's just a hand. It's in French. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't hate it or anything. No, I was being a 
a little bit uh, exaggerating there. But um, I don't really get why you think it's so amazing. So I'd love to hear what you want to say about it. If you'd like to do a little thing now, go. Uh, I, I just thought it was completely captivating. It's a, a very offbeat premise that certainly my sort of thing, a disembodied hand walking around. Uh, you get a lot of just action, I suppose it is, really, with the hand defending itself against rats with a lighter and, and trying to crawl around. But then you also have that offset with this very relatable human-level drama of this kind of... Creepy stalker guy. Creepy stalker French guy and this woman that you that apparently relate to. With. I think it's very relatable, yeah. On both sides of the coin, you know, I think um, his story and her story are both very relatable. And I like the way it, it coalesces. I, I I enjoyed it a lot, and I thought the animation was lovely as well. I don't know. It didn't say anything to me, and I don't know. I was just sort of not not very fussed, really. I... Did you like it more than Toy Story Four? Yeah, I probably did. Yeah, I gave it a six out of ten if, for whatever that's worth. I think that's what you gave Toy Story Four. So yeah, but yeah, but at least they were trying with this. You know, at least they were doing something. <laughs> Toy Story Four was fucking cashing. Yeah. I give them that. It's a difficult one to predict this, because I think Toy Story 4 is the obvious favourite. It's the safe bet. Everyone loves Toy Story. Well, no, because Toy Story 4 was quite crap, though. But that's it. I think enough people... Yeah, but I think enough people are a bit miffed and not that impressed with Toy Story 4 that there could be an upset here. Uh, Missing Link won the Golden Globes category here. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a real upset and it went to I Lost My Body or to Missing Link or, God forbid, How to Train Your Dragon 3 or or Claws even. Claws would be a worthy winner, but it's probably the bottom of the pile of likelihood. But yeah, an interesting one, that one. Interesting to see where that goes. Uh, Then there's some short films international shit song uh probably gonna be some bullshit song out of rocket man i wouldn't have even nominated the songs they've nominated uh so yeah oscars what's our diminishing returns best picture of the year alan i don't know you're the keeper of the numbers probably fighting with my family or some shit knowing you (laughs) although you didn't like that though did you (laughs) Um, yeah, probably yeah, Zombieland too. Actually, it probably is Zombieland. Too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's good. That it's good. It was Zombieland too. was good. You can't deny that. Uh, any any snobs you want to talk about? I I must say I'm surprised Booksmart didn't get a look in anywhere. I thought it would get an original screenplay nod or something like that. Uh, uh, and I thought yeah, I, I thought Beanie Feldstein as well, I thought, might squeeze a supporting actor, actress nodding. Um, decent film. Again, wasn't blown away by it, personally. Liked it. The Farewell, I'm very surprised didn't get anything at all. I thought Susan Zhao for supporting actress and the music were both shoo-ins. Uh, Knives Out, really surprised that didn't get anything beyond a screenplay nod. I thought that would be one of the mm. big contenders. Um, yeah, I'm a bit surprised by that because it still it did quite well, didn't it? Like it got yeah, people love it. Um, I'm a bit mm. surprised. I kind of thought Eddie Murphy was going to get nominated for best lead actor off the back of Dolomite yeah. is my name. He would have been an upset, a bit of a surprise, but I kind of thought the Academy love Eddie Murphy and they love a comeback story, and you know, I just thought the stars would align for him. Yeah, um, Rocket Man. Pretty much snubbed out. I don't think it got 
nominated for anything beyond the original song, which is yeah. a real shame because it's a really well directed film and yeah. you know, if anything, if nothing else, sound mixing. I mean, come on, like it deserves everything Bohemian Rhapsody got nominated for. Jesus. <laughs> So yeah, do you, do you want to know my my top ten of the year as it stands, Alan? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's a shame. There's so many films I wanna I wanna name check in here that aren't even in the ten. But let's go with top ten. Let's be restrained. Uh, number ten, Captain Marvel. This is an update you see from last time review of the year. I, I've seen more films. Captain Marvel. Uh, number nine, Avengers Endgame. Number eight, and this is really gonna make me seem bad. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I promised there's some proper like films coming up. <laughs> number seven toy story four i liked it number six el camino a breaking bad movie you know i rewatched that again the other night alan because uh i rewatched all the breaking bad and i thought well i'll cap it off with el camino oh, now i've just revisited the series and you know see how it stands up and it, it's a really solid little you know bit of fun anyway top five mm. now this is good shit this this is like proper well, films though. i hope so because it's been pretty crap so far Number five, 1917. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Late entry. Yeah. Number four, Uncut Gems. Another one, late entry, yeah. I haven't watched it yet. Completely snubbed out of the Oscars. It is pretty criminal, the more I think about it. It deserved a Best Picture nod. Adam Sandler deserved a Best Lead Actor nod. Maybe some other stuff, but they're the two obvious ones. Uh, Yeah, we'll talk about it when you've seen it, but see it. Uh, number three, Marriage Story. Okay, yeah, yeah, good. Number two, I Lost My Body. It's a strange choice, but you know. Number one, Us. Jordan oh, Us holding on to that place, uh, snubbed yeah. by the Oscars. Was... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I knew Us wasn't going to get anything, but if they'd been kind to it, Lupita Nyong'o would have been nominated for Best Lead Actress, I think. And uh, yeah. music, I think it deserved a nod yeah, for its music. Yeah, yeah. If you wanted to know more about your thoughts on us, what, what would you do about that? Oh god, we did a whole episode on it, didn't we? Uh, over at Patreon, dimreturns.com. No shit, was it? Patreon.com forward slash dimreturns. Yes, one dollar a month for extra content. Um, some full episodes, mostly mm. mini reviews of stuff that have just come out, uh, mm. such as the mm. ones you've heard in this episode on uh, once. No, because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and uh, Joker, we did full episodes on. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> yeah. Do you want one? Do you want one last trivia Oscars trivia question? So Roger Deakins, uh, he's probably going to win Best Cinematographer for, ni- for nineteen seventeen. He won for Blade Runner twenty forty nine mm. a couple of years ago. Gorgeous but that fa- that famously was his first win after being nominated many times. So how many? Times has he been nominated in total? Thirty. <laughs> Not quite that many. Twenty-one. Uh, Fifteen, including this year. It was his fourteenth nomination that he finally won. <laughs> After, uh, and that's over twenty-three years. Pretty good going. Well, there you go, guys. Keep trying. <clears throat> Stick with it. You too can win an Oscar long after the point that your career has reached a point where you probably don't give a shit because <laughs> you're like the most respected person in your field anyway alright right. what's next right. week 
Is Calvin uh, back? I don't know. Oh, by the way, everyone, uh, Calvin's watched none of these films. We haven't just, like, yeah. omitted him. <laughs> we, we invited him. <laughs> he's just shit at going to the cinema. He just, he's literally not seen a single one of these films yet, so that's why he's not here. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd be talking to him about it. Uh, next week, oh, uh, 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 um, ooh, Love is in the Air. Love oh. is in the Air. Do, do, Every do. time I look around, making me Wendy. <laughs> so it's Valentine's Day special next week. Keep on dancing. Keep on dancing. So long.